Well, greetings, all you commanders, eagles, and angels. This is Rainbird, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Tarn Rama's Hard News on Friday night at BBS Radio Station One. We're grateful that you join us here tonight. And so, just to set the tone for the evening, let's take a few gentle breaths and go into our heart space. So breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth, slowly and gently, intentionally. Let go of that drop of the day. And hear that calling drum as we gather. In our heart space, let us gather with our guides, our guardians, our spirit teams, our healing teams, our ancestors, whoever you like to journey with the key drum. It is a journey drum. There's a council fire. It's in the center. So come in close. Make that perfect circle around that council fire in that virtual way we know how to do. And let's call in the seven sacred galactic directions in the Mayan tradition. Welcome from the east, the house of light. May wisdom open in the dawn that is upon us, so that we may see all things clearly. the house of night. May wisdom mature among us so that we may see everything from within. We greet from the west the house of transformation. May wisdom be transformed into right action so they might accomplish what must be done. Welcome from the south, the house of eternal sun. May right action give us the harvest so that we might enjoy the fruit of the planetary being. We welcome from above, the house of paradise. 
bless our people and the ancestors gathered. May their blessings reach us now. Universal fire 
with the rhythmic tone of equality and guide it by the power of my own power doubled. So the guide tone today is also um, this, <clears throat> the sun. So a double sun here, <laughs> the sun and the sun beyond the sun. And our uh, support glyph for today is the storm. And um, the uh, challenge today is the dog. So the storm is giving us that support of that catalyzing element, and the dog is challenging us with that unconditional love. So um, let's work with that challenge. And our spirit guide for today is Inish the dragon. So that's like the beginning of the a new cycle. So let's. Uh, work with that beginning energy, that creation energy, uh, with, as our spirit guide tonight, Imish. And then uh, there you go, a powerful day for today. Let's look at the sun a little bit more. It's um, a healing aspect, and it's about rising to Christ consciousness. So we'll, we strive towards wholeness with this energy, and we, we're transmitting energy to others with this energy. So let's embrace these gifts of possibility thinking and unconditional love and the God self as we let go of any limitation or any separation. We embrace these energies today and tonight as we go through the evening. And then on Saturday, moving right along, it's Restarting that last, that final 13th unial, and it's with the dragon, Inish. And Inish is an artist aspect, so it's all about creation and, and trusting in the universe and self-dependence and clarity of mind all, all work with this energy. Uh, so we can be clear about what we're bringing in. So let's embrace these gifts of being that source of creation and the beginning as we let go of any lack of support, any of those illusions of lack of support. So uh, do that. <laughs> and then moving on to Saturday, or that is Saturday. Oh, and, the, and also it is a portal day. I forgot to mention that. So the, the red resonant dragon for Saturday is portal day. We'll be working with that all day long. As we do our work on Saturday, we work with it. Good beginning energy, like a new moon energy, only it's for 20 days. <laughs> and uh, then moving on to Sunday, then it's the wind. Um, so it's, a, it's a, the eight. It's, um, that's right, the dragon on Saturday is a resonant dragon, so we're working with that, that, that seven energy for Saturday as well, so. Very magical day, very powerful vision, visionary work that we do. Oh, okay, here back to Sunday. An eight eat the white galactic wind, and so we're an octave higher is the way we just went through um, before this one. We're in the we're currently in the wave of the blue eagle, but <clears throat> the eight tone always mirrors that octave higher energy of the wave we just went through before the, we started the eagle energy. Uh, so we're working with the visionary aspect and the co-creation of heaven on earth with with this um, 
solar glyph. So it's about truth in all matters and remembering our unity with spirit. So we will embrace these gifts of having that voice of spirit and allowing spirit to work through us, listening to what spirit has to say. (laughs) So let's let go of any judgment of others or any secretiveness as we embrace these energies on Sunday. And then on Monday, it's the nine ball, the blue solar night. And it's also celebrated as Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. Uh, sometimes, I, there were times we called it President's Day. So we're celebrating Lincoln's birthday and George Washington's birthday, too. But let's stick with MLK Jr. for Monday with this night, the blue solar night. And, and it's an artist aspect. So we're, it's about our participation in our, and our belief in our abundance. And, and it's also about learning from our dream time. So let's dream the people awake and embrace these gifts about the protection of the night and having that protection of the night and, and, and acknowledging being the mystery of life. As we let go of any self-judgment or any withdrawals, we embrace these energies on Monday. And then on Tuesday, it's a 10 con. The yellow planetary seeds. So it's another healing aspect, and we really work with our openness to life with the seed energy and our self-determination. Every seed is determined <laughs> by itself to do what it does, and it contains all the knowledge of how to do it and when to do it. So it's harmony-seeking. It's about timing. And it brings a gift, a possibility, and that potential of creation with it. So let's let go of any stagnation, let go of any lack of self-confidence, any hesitation, and trust. So let's let's trust as we embrace these energies for Tuesday. And then moving on to Wednesday, it's an 11 Chong, the red spectral circle. Serpent, that 11 tone is about letting go and what what no longer serves us. So let's, who better to teach us that than that serpent energy <laughs> that knows how to shed its skin, teaches us how to let go, what no longer serves us in that way. It's a warrior aspect, so we remain open to change with this energy and distinguish between the body and the soul. And we transmute energy. Serpent teaches us that transmutation. So let's embrace these gifts of that motivation to change, that instinct and that body sensing. If we let go of any insecurities or any fears of intimacy or any issues about the body, and let go of any blockages by the ego. And then on Thursday, it's the 12 Kimi, the White Crystal World Bridger. So it's a Kimi day, and Kimi is a warrior aspect. And it's really about forgiveness. So with forgiveness, we move into a state of grace. And that's part of the work of Kimi is being in that state of grace. So embrace these gifts of being that world bridger and that bridge between the past and the future. And, and that gift of transmutation that comes with it. As we let go of that which is no more, let go of the ego, any controlling behaviors. Let go of that belief that life is a struggle. We don't need that. (laughs) And we come back 
on Friday, it'll be uh, 13 Monique. So it's another Friday the 13, and it's with the hand, the healing hand, the healing aspect. And it's about healing ourselves and healing others, and it's about creating contentment and peace. So in, we also are required to accept the divinity of ourselves. So let's do that with this energy. 13 energy, that promise of change. And so we embrace these gifts of being the healer of humankind and that ability to open new doors and bring that change that's so needed as we let go of any distractions or any belief in inadequacy and let go of procrastination. That doesn't work either. So there you go. That's the week ahead. We'll talk about Friday the 13th some more next week. And happy Friday the 13th today. And now I want to change my hat and take a few minutes to talk about the housekeeping. As we are a listener-supported radio program, it's all of us that make it happen. There's so much gratitude for all of you for all of your assistance. And uh, this week we need two weeks' worth of BBS radio, which comes to $520. And um, this is how we make a contribution to BBS radio. We go to bbsradio.com, and there you want to look for the menu for Radio Station 1 for this program. And you'll see at the when you find that menu, at the 6 o'clock hour on Friday in Pacific time, you'll see the icon for this program, The Hard News on Friday Nights with Tara and Rama. Just click on that icon, and that'll take you directly to our account where you can make a donation in any amount using your bank card. Thank you for taking that action. Thank you for your generosity. And on Radio Station 2 on Thursdays, we also have a night at the round table with the panel, and you can make your donation there. As you click on that icon, it's also at the 6 o'clock hour. And there you go. That's another option. And then, of course, our Saturday program is on Radio Station 2 at 1.30, and that's uh, another place where you can make that donation. So... That's how you access the account. That's how you get it done. Thank you so much for taking that action. We're so grateful for you in all the ways that you show up in your lives. And thank you for showing up in this way. Um, it's an important way. <laughs> and may many happy returns tenfold come your way for everything for paying it forward like that. So we're also assisting Tara and Mama with their needs. And their update is that they are have the funds to, to get the car fixed, and we'll be doing that as it as the parts come in and it happens, and and that will be sooner the better, at least by the end of the week, and then um, or next week maybe. <laughs> They're needing another hundred dollars for two bills for. Um, to finish up the bills and for the week. And then they also need about $250 for living expenses. So that'll that'll cover everything. And I forgot to ask about living expenses. If it's, if it's any more or less than that, we can talk about it. But <clears throat> I went middle of the road and said 250 I think that'll do it. <laughs> so there you go. We're so grateful for your generosity. Thank you for assisting Tara and Rama with their needs, and here's how we do that. We go to rainbowroundtable.net. That is the website, rainbowroundtable.net. 
And there on the home page, you click on that menu grid that's on that page, and the menu will show up with the uh, donut donate button being near the last of that list. So thank you for clicking on that link, and that takes you to the Rainbow Roundtable account and with at PayPal. So that's two ways to, to find that account at PayPal, and that's one way. And the other way is to put in Rama's email there um, at, at PayPal, and it is as follows, Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999949 at hotmail.com. And that's, that's what you put in the gifting column to do a direct payment. That way is also uh, takes care of the friends option, which takes care of some of the commercial charges. Either way, it's perfect. We are so grateful for your, all of your contributions. So thank you, thank you, thank you for taking that action. And as you do take that action, Please let Rama know that you sent something. That email to let him know is Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999-39, at Comcast.net. And just tell him what you sent when you sent it. And uh, so thank you. Thank you for taking that action as well. And if you need it, the, the mailing address is as follows. Ram D. Berkowitz, R-A-M, D. Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box 280-280, and that's in Santa Cruz, New Mexico, with a zip code is 87567, and I'll say it again, Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567. So there you have it. That's the whole update for what we're needing. Uh, to keep on trucking and gathering this way each week the way we do. We are so grateful to be able to do that this way and so grateful for your your uh, generosity and keeping us caught up with our radio fees. And we're grateful for all that BBS Radio does as producers. They're awesome. And it's it's great to be here. So thank you all for making it happen in a good way. We're so grateful for all of us. So thank we, as we say. <laughs> thank we. So, um, oh, my gosh, I got this talking stick, and it's ready to go. It's got that Excalibur sword of truth, and it has all over the goddesses, goddesses everywhere, all kinds of angels. The divine feminine is here. And mothers taking the charge. There's lots of cat energy. There's cat tails and cat heads and cat ears. <laughs> They're all there. And sweet Angelique, too. There she is. So greetings, her and Rama. Here comes the Friday the 13th Divine Feminine Goddess Mother Segment Talking Stick. Here it comes. Greetings. <laughs> Thank you, Rayburn. <laughs> Thank you, Rayburn. Yes, it is Mother's Day. It is. Yes, it is. Happy Friday the 13th. <sighs> May we continue to pass every test is all I can say. 
Like Michael Pronti said, it's a good day to be alive. That's true. <laughs> Every day is a good day to be alive, no matter what. Yes. Might be hard to figure out how that could be. <laughs> but uh, it's up to us, isn't it? Um, it is. And uh, I can say that with the incoming solar rays, frequencies, solar flares, things are hot in the kitchen. And mother's coming to collect her children, as she has said. And we are watching the matrix fall apart right in front of our eyes. The house of disorder and chaos is uh, kind of... Running a riot act. Yeah. I can't quite grok the idea that people that committed sedition and treason are running the devil, so to speak. And, uh, <laughs> I just gotta say, it is a comedy of errors, but it's tragic because it's the end of this extremely long cycle that has gone on for 26,826 years. And with this incoming solar flash, it changes everything. And it's not an extinction-level event. It's about raising oh my God. the heart into those higher realms that when you take and look at pictures of Archbishop Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama and they're giggling like kids and it's about the energies that are pouring in just love and compassion it sounds ridiculous yet that is how you get to space I'm not kidding <laughs> 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 We're all laughing because this. Well, we don't have the sound on, but we're watching uh, Steve Colbert, and he's he's been in some pretty rare sh style this week. But we are going to listen to um, Steve Colbert with uh, Prince Harry. Yes, that was last Tuesday. Yeah, this is a his story that has come out as a big deal because, you know, two twin sisters played the role of the queen. Yes, Lilibet and Elizabeth. And this. And Lilibet did the longest part of that term. And supposedly they are part of the lineage of Yeshua and Magdalene. And what's interesting is that uh, Megan and Harry named their daughter Lilibet. Yeah, it's oh a little goodness. freaky. <laughs> oh, I'm sh that's a whole different energy. That's yeah, it is. All I know is that 
Everything's changing. <laughs> Tremendously changing. And on a serious note, the actor Kevin Spacey got charged with seven counts of sexual um, messing around with little boys. Not so cool. Oh, no. Yeah. Ooh. It has to do with how these folks play with these 13 families because, you know, Hollywood is a strange animal. And it's not, not, not saying anything ill about it. I'm just saying that like JFK Sr. tried to do is get rid of the CIA. The CIA, the deep state, runs Hollywood and it goes right into the secret space program and things that are not as they seem. And there are many different facets to this story all the way to Mars and beyond. And it is about the truth coming forth because um, the galactic families that are here come in peace. And it's not about conquest. There are, like I say, many stories and it's convoluted because pieces of the story have to do with our own 12 strands of DNA as we awaken to the oneness that is all there is. And, um, oh, I accidentally deleted, I'm changing the subject, but no. I asked accidentally deleted the Golden Globe yes. uh, presentation this week. Uh, Amy covers a bit of it, so we'll get what we can. I wasn't happy with myself when I did that. I was a little bit groggy, sleepy. and The energies have been quite... Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Challenging to uh, not be sleepy. Yeah, I have found myself like looking at the ships in the sky and, you know, looking at my Twitter feed, I confess, and uh, I could get lost in an instant, in an hour could go by and you don't even realize that an hour has gone by no. and this is why it's so important to stay in that centered oneness right now because this is what we're being asked to do to get through these energies it's very very easy to go into the higher realms and it's, you know, in our best interest that we take this with us. <laughs> yeah. It, it's 
part of the whole and all the animals that I've been connecting with this week, they are just saying, connect with us, you know, even though in some places it's bitter cold, other places it's not so cold. Um, but the deer and the crows, they keep coming out and talking to me and they're just saying, connect with the five elements because this is how we heal this story. It's the basic, the platonic solids, the geometric forms. These are the building blocks of life combined with this harmony of the spheres, a symphony that Lord Katumi wrote. And these are the sound frequencies that raise us up. This is what the animals respond to. And as we stay there, they show up and they talk to us, just like we're talking now in this electronic circle. It's quite amazing. Um, how they speak is in tele, um, telepathic uh, images that just flash at the speed of light. And you got to catch them in their geometric forms. And I pass the talking stick. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'll just read the updates you, uh, you got today. How's that? Yes. And everybody, um, oh, Rama, uh, I was asking Rama to see if he could ask the Faction Three White Knights because, you know, we are waiting till the cows come home and then some for these guys. We're expecting them to hold themselves accountable. We're it's got a screw loose somewhere. <laughs> yeah, the Keystone cops are investigating themselves. It's, <laughs> that's oh what the, that's what these Republicans love now that they got Mr. McCarthy. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm just saying that uh, all the world is watching, and there's some really tough things going on. I mean. The characters that are making a ruckus in Brasilia, they want Bolsonaro back. So they're not like the radical left. They're loony tunes that are... And Steve Bannon's had his fingers in there because Bolsonaro... Bolsonaro's been in a hospital. I didn't see if he got out yet. Yeah, I haven't I heard a word know. about that in Orlando, Florida. And, uh, you know, one of Mr. Trump's uh, character friends in the play are squawking about Lula being in office down there because he's, uh, he's been... He's been president there before. And the Trump family, uh, they got charged with tax fraud and... To the um, tune of how much? 
$1.6 million. That's like a drop in the bucket for what he's stolen. Yeah, a drop in the ocean. And I think he got something like $100 million in donations uh, right before 2020, somewhere in there, didn't he? <coughs> yeah, it, it is like what I'm being told is that all of these folks are going to lose that wealth because they haven't used it to help the planet or help the people. And it is a huge deal because... Um, they want to get rid of Social Security and Medicare and get rid of it for good. When the atmosphere gets to the point where you got to think about going to the bunkers. And it, they've cut huge chunks of money from the IRS so that they, you know, they can get away with murder and not pay their taxes. But see, the tax situation, the criminality of it is that the average person who can't barely make ends meet because they're not, you know, the uh, minimum wage hasn't risen um, equivalently to the inflation rate, right? Yeah. And, um, That's a big deal. And so, and, and, you know, the average taxpayer, they're supposed to be paying something like 39% of their wages when this inflation has gone haywire like this and their wages have stayed really low. It's 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 millions and millions of people are in utter poverty in the United States. And that's the other thing. It's very difficult and challenging for people to believe that there might be about 170 million people in the United States right now. We heard Dr. Greer say, oh, 800, 8, 8 billion. And uh, it's not the case. There are huge shifts going on, and it's about waking up out of the matrix. It is. And sometimes that is challenging because we got to place respect, thank and love the feelings right now. And we are watching the most, um, I don't even have the kind of words to really describe these arch criminals except in <laughs> you know these intergalactic not so nice characters that eat planets for lunch it's not exactly what's going to happen here well I know that intervention is already at hand. I'm. I was just asking Rama. I'm not sure if you did. You just give me a NASA answer, never a straight answer about about this. Uh, I mean, what I you know uh, um, the protocols for what one must go through in order to get a classified document and make sure that it's kept track of. That's the biggest problem. Right now, what I can say about this is that 
whether it's hundreds of documents or or a couple of dozen, uh, um, well, of course, it took eight months to get Trump to say something like, no, I'm not going to, you know what. What I could say about this is the deep state, the spooks are running the show, and this is why Ed Snowden is still in Moscow, and it's a big yeah, deal. that's true. And um, Julian Assange is still in Belmar's prison for doing nothing except telling the truth. <clears throat> He's not quite in his right mind at this point. No, they've messed with him, and it's not good. To torture. And, and I know that Omina said that there's uh, karma there yet. The law of karma has come to an end as well. Yeah. And, and uh, it's time for dharma, and that's why the energies are so high. Send more love. I pass the talking stick. Okay. All right. Well, so uh, how about you give us the phone number for the conference call, Lord Rama? Oh, 720- Seven one six seven three zero one, and the pin code is three five three eight six three pound. Okay. Before we go, I received a text message from Tom the Ringtail Cat and Sweet Angelique the Cat at twelve ten p.m. early this afternoon. They said to me, "Lord Rama, it's Friday the thirteenth. The goddess who started this story is here." And she is collecting her children. Got all these ship prisons full of people. Since 2006, they've been collecting them in those cloaked ship prisons. Meaning some of them have been in there uh, 23 years. Yeah. Wow. No, 10. uh, No, 10. I'm sorry. 10 and 4, 14, 15, 16, 17 years, 17 years, not make it more than it is. But anyway, they know their time is up, uh, the naughty characters here. As we approach the solar flash, more and more folks are having an experience of being a bit off-center, or a more than a bit off-center. And let's get spiritual, as they say. <laughs> and uh, it's really uh, important. Or breathe, that's a good way. Pranayama. Yes. Find that center. And um, what is happening has not happened in 26,826 year cycle. Yes. And this next cycle is four times longer. You know, they they round everything off about 100,000 years of peace we're heading into here. This is the time and the place where it all changes because we are aligned with the, with the, the laws of love. The solar flares continue to stay in the high hearts. Nam, namaste, blaze the violet fire. And a brother of ours, I was just having this conversation the other day that 
uh, Mother Earth on her own schedule, and there's no way that human misbehavior is going to cause Mother Earth to be off of her schedule. That's right. That being said, the amount of pollution in the air has caused <coughs> a lot of harm to the human race and the animals and the plant life. Uh, it's just created uh, actually plants like... Uh, Climate disruption, like uh, Greg Braden says. And with, yeah, but climate, I mean, plants like CO2. Yes, they do. That creates photosynthesis for them. But uh, not so fun for us. for us and the animals either. Uh, so that would be uh, something to change, especially since in the fl flick of an eye here that uh, the uh, energy of solar I mean, yeah, there, how did we run the energies in Atlantis? We didn't put solar panels on our rooftops. We had crystals. We had crystals? It's, it's about 8 o'clock, yeah. We had crystal energy, and that is a story for another time. Okay. Well, we'll see you on the conference call, everybody. And uh, we'll be right back here at the BBS Radio, Best Radio in the Universe, in the top of the next hour. So uh, thank you, everybody, and thank you, BBS Radio, for being where you, where you are to be here for us to be together. Namaste, everybody. See you on the conference.
Welcome back, everyone. Precious Art, thank you for joining us for our weekly vlog. Cosmic beings from systems of worlds beyond our great, great central sun were given permission by our Father Mother God to descend into the atmosphere of Earth to help humanity in powerful ways that we had not been able to vibrationally withstand previously. Our godparents gave those beings of light permission to remain here and to work with every person's I am presence from the September 22nd equinox through the December 21st solstice in 2022. Prior to returning to their distant homes on the solstice, they blessed humanity with an activity of light that prepared each of us in wondrous ways for the divine mission we are being called to fulfill in 2023. On December 21st, 2022, this activity of light was encoded into the patterns of the new earth in the causal body of God and will be intensified at a cellular level within every human being, each time we participate in this gift from the cosmic beings. If you have the heart call to do so, please join with me and lightworkers around the world now as we empower this gift from on high for every man, woman, and child on earth. And we begin. I am my I am presence, and I am one with my Father, Mother, God. In loving gratitude, I breathe in my life force, which is my gift of life. With every elevated holy breath I take, my I am presence consecrates every thought, feeling, word, and action I express with light and love in appreciation for my gift of life. I am also one with the I am presence of every man, woman, and child on earth. Collectively, humanity's I am presences now merge into one luminous being of light that is cradling Mother Earth and all life evolving upon her within the divinity of our unified heart flames. Humanity, the elemental kingdom, and Mother Earth are now breathing in unison with me as one elevated holy breath. What I invoke for myself this day, I invoke on behalf of every person on this planet, the elemental kingdom, and Mother Earth in perfect alignment with each one's divine plan and the highest good 
for all concerned. Now, beloved presence of God, I am, through the divinity blazing in every person's heart flame, I invoke the fifth dimensional silent watchers and the cosmic beings who are assisting us from systems of worlds beyond our great, great central sun. I invoke the solar logos from Earth's lineage, including our physical sun, Helios and Vesta, our central sun, Alpha and Omega, our great central sun, Eloway and Eloa, and our great, great central sun, El and Allah. I also invoke the mighty Elohim and all of the beings of light serving the evolutions of earth from the realms of illumined truth. On this sacred and holy day, through the divine intervention of the entire company of heaven, now gathered in the atmosphere of earth, I invoke from the very core of creation the most intensified frequencies of fifth dimensional crystalline solar light that humanity and the earth are capable of receiving at this time. Beloved ones, use this gift of light to accelerate the divine alchemy that is transfiguring the carbon-based earthly bodies of humanity the elemental kingdom and mother earth into fifth dimensional crystalline solar light bodies. Simultaneously, raise humanity's newly recalibrated spiritual brain centers, as well as our mental bodies, our superconscious minds, our conscious minds, our subconscious minds, and our physical brain structures into brand new levels of divine consciousness. This elevated shift of consciousness is now empowering all of humanity to clearly hear the inner voice of our I am presence and the voices from the beings of light serving us from the heavenly realms as they help us to attain a state of listening grace. From this sacred space, I hear a voice speaking in the deepest recesses of my heart. And I listen. The divine words reverberating in my heart flame remind me that I am an instrument of God and that I have come to earth during this critical moment to be the heart, head, and hands of God in the physical world of form. As I listen to these words, I remember. This remembrance stirs within me the inner knowing that I have been preparing for eons of time for my divine mission 
during this cosmic moment. Deep within the recesses of my heart, I know that I have all of the wisdom, strength, skill, knowledge, talent, and ability I need to succeed in fulfilling my mission, God victoriously. I also have the courage to act now. Suddenly, I hear the voice of God calling me to a higher octave of divine service. I respond with willingness and enthusiasm. The voice of God reveals to me that due to the urgency of the hour, a contingency plan for the earth has been set into motion and my assistance is acutely needed in order for the plan to succeed. I joyously agree to serve in whatever capacity I am needed. The voice of God speaking within my heart flame reveals that the time is short and that I am needed as a surrogate in these unprecedented divine plans to serve as an instrument of God on behalf of all of humanity. In deep humility and compassion, I volunteer. I take a deep breath and I feel myself spiraling up a scintillating shaft of light. In an instant, I am standing before the august presence of the cosmic beings that have come temporarily to assist us from systems of worlds beyond our great, great central sun. These beings of light have been given permission by our Father, Mother, God to assist humanity during this critical facet of Mother Earth's divine plans in ways that have never before been allowed by cosmic law. This is being allowed now because the love of our Mother God has at long last returned and is now reclaiming this Earth. This divine intervention is being monitored by every person's I am presence and will occur for every son and daughter of God in alignment with our highest good and the maximum assistance that we are capable of safely assimilating. As I look upon these cosmic beings with wonder and awe, The light of a thousand suns seems to be radiating through their heart flames. Exquisite colors, fragrances, musical tones, and frequencies of vibration beyond anything I have ever experienced begin to permeate my being. 
as this wondrous light enters the core of purity in every atomic and subatomic particle and wave of my earthly bodies and all of the spaces in between these particles. I realize that I am receiving a baptism by sacred fire directly from the heart of my Father, Mother, God, the cosmic I am, all that is. I now feel my heart's call and I move closer to the luminous presence of the cosmic beings. As one luminous presence, they place their blazing hands of light upon my head and decree. With this baptism by sacred fire from the heart of our Father, Mother, God, we now consecrate your earthly bodies. We consecrate your mind to be one with the divine mind of God. The cosmic beings now place their hands of light upon my heart and decree. We consecrate your heart to be the open door through which our Father, Mother, God's comprehensive divine love and limitless abundance will now flow to bless you and all life. The beings of light now place their hands of light upon my eyes and decree. We consecrate your eyes to perceive the truth and to recognize perfection in all things. They now place their hands of light upon my ears and decree. We consecrate your ears to hear the still small voice of God within your heart for guidance and illumination. Truly listen and respond with love to all of those who communicate with you. The cosmic beings now place their hands of light upon my lips and decree. We consecrate your lips to express only truth and to communicate clearly openly and honestly whenever you speak. They now place their hands of light upon my nose and decree. We consecrate your nostrils to breathe in the perfectly balanced holy breath of the divine masculine and the divine feminine. This elevated holy breath will now revitalize, rejuvenate, and heal your earthly bodies with every breath you take. 
the hands of light are now placed upon my hands and they decree. We consecrate your hands to bless and heal all that you touch. The cosmic beings now place their hands of light upon my feet and decree. We consecrate your feet so that as you continue your earthly sojourn, you will walk the path of light. As you fulfill your divine plan, you will reach your highest potential as an instrument of God. Now the cosmic beings decree in the name of the cosmic I am, all that is, we decree that this baptism by sacred fire and this consecration through the infinite light of our Father, Mother, God, has been victoriously fulfilled for every man, woman, and child on earth. This activity of light has been permanently encoded in the causal body of our Father, Mother, God. And so it is. In deep humility and gratitude, I express my appreciation for the opportunity to be an instrument of God in this new and greatly accelerated way. Father, Mother, God, allow me to be the open door for the light of God and a force of healing for all life I come in contact with during my earthly sojourn. In my mission of being an instrument of God, I magnetize into my sphere of influence every person, place, condition, or thing that I can assist in any way with God's infinite light. Give me the divine opportunities to love all life free on this sweet earth. I am open, I am willing, I am receptive, and I am grateful. I am God's infinite light in action on earth. And so it is, beloved, I am that I am. Dear one, this week, Go within and ask your I am presence how you can add to the light of the world in the most powerful way during this vitally important and wondrous time. God bless you, dear one. I look forward to being with you next week. Let yourself just be in your body, in the chair, in this moment, giving yourself the space to relax, 
to let your mind just soften and feel what is left there is an open, receptive space. A space where love can flow into and is welcomed in that space. A space where the messages and the wisdom of the star mothers and cryon flow into that space. And as you feel that, continue to make space around your heart for the healing that comes along with the message. There is energy, not just in the message, in the words, but in the room. Let that in. Say yes to that. This time is for you. These teachings are for you. This love and this healing is for you. Greetings, dear ones. I'm Cryon of Magnetic Service. In the beginning, there was love. Before there was anything physical, any universe, any galaxy, there was love. When the membranes of interdimensionality collided that started this, you call the universe, there was love. When this, which is your galaxy, was formed with the physics that it has, there was love. And it's this world you call Earth shaped itself and cooled down and life began. There was love. When it was time for the biology here that was human to receive that which was the knowledge of oneness, there was love. And all these thousands of years later, as you sit in the chairs, there is love. It is a creator that never changes, ever. A source that is dynamic and yet static in that it constantly morphs to become expanded. And yet, there's always love. And dear ones, as you study this, which is the beginning core information, taught to beginning humanity, there is love. And in this, I want you to know that you are part of this source. Dear ones, part of the change of DNA, 
from being a 24-chromosomed animal to a 23-chromosomed piece of God, part of that was imbuing in you the attributes of the central source of all that is of the hub. I want to remind you of something. When you say DNA, what do you think of? Do you think of the the trillions and trillions of, of molecules in your body, which are DNA? Or do you think of one molecule that has a trillion sisters and brothers that are identical? And I ask this question because it's it's almost it's almost like the question of your soul. You think you have one soul. What if you had trillions of souls that were all identical? And how would you deal with that human being? And how would that help you to understand more about the love of God? What it does is this: it tells you. The things are more complex, but yet filled with love, benevolence, and beauty beyond anything that you can imagine. In your body, it is the mirror of so much that goes on that you cannot see. One molecule of DNA is identical to every other molecule, trillions of them in your body. Together, they all build into a field. That's the reason there are so many of them. It's not just biological. It just doesn't fit into the scheme of molecular structure. There is a part of it that is multidimensional. The 24th invisible chromosome. The one that gives you that, which is choice and connects you to something called a higher self. A self, that's you, which exists beyond the vibration of a corporeal you outside of the body. Profound it is, but there's more. I want to get personal for a moment and talk about those who believe that you might have been in Lemuria. Now, Lemuria spanned thousands of years. There were up to 30 million of you who passed through that system. So it wasn't just a few. And in this shift called 2012, the precession of the equinoxes, that you are still part of in this All the Lemurians who ever lived are here today, still living. And many of them are awakening. And they're awakening to this shift because the core information starts to awaken within them. And in that awakening, they ask questions, simple ones. Have I been here before? What is it I feel? 
I'm feeling things that, that almost push for an answer. And yet I'm not sure what the question is. I'm pushing for resolution without a puzzle. Unless you say the puzzle is simply the question I cannot answer. Some are saying these things. They are wandering around saying there's something more. I know it. These are the ones who are starting to recognize their old souls. And in the recognition of old souldom, that is, that you are an old soul, it requires you believe in something else. That a soul returns and returns and returns. How many lifetimes have you had? I'm going to call this this message tonight completion completion and i want to tell you about this journey that you're on some have called this reincarnation we call it expressionism that your soul comes back in a different expression and that would be a different vessel a body that is different it's a different expression of the same soul. Reincarnation would indicate a complete and total turnover, a reboot, a restart. That is not how we see it. Let me give you something to think of. Did the Pleiadians reincarnate? Absolutely. They had many expressions. And the reason that we would not use that reincarnation word for a Pleiadian is because when they came back when they were evolved enough to know who they are and who they were when they came back as a different expression and woke up as a child it wasn't long before they remembered the last one and the reason is because their DNA was working at an efficiency rate of almost 90%. Yours is at 35. The evolution process of the human being is the evolution of consciousness. Put yourself in a place thousands of years from now, generations from now, with an evolving spirit, and you will have children coming back and as though it were the most natural thing, they will remember who they used to be, who their parents were, what they had learned, and they will understand a continuing. And it changes death. Oh, can you imagine? As long as you might live, a day when you take your last breath, for whatever reason, and you could look in the eyes of your loved one and smile and say, I'll see you later. And you would. The turnaround time for a Pleiadian, <laughs> it's about a month, a month. And with agreement born into another family, 
when they were old enough for that expression to remember, they would look back and find that loved one and say, I'm back. I love you. And they would say, and when it's your time, you look me up because now you know where I am. And the family goes on and on and on and on and on. And there is love. You don't have that yet. But the principle is the same. Death is not a completion. It's an expression. In this day and age, what were you taught, metaphysician? What were you taught about the turnaround time of a human being that will come back into the next expression? A decade? More? How long does it take on the other side of the veil to do whatever you think is happening there? That's the question. What you think, you had no idea what's really happening there. The more evolved the consciousness is that leaves the planet in death, the sooner they come back. What would you think about a year or less? That's where it is today, old soul. You wanna know one of the reasons you are so positive that you have come here many times, and that's because your turnaround time is minuscule. You come right back. But that's really not what I wanna tell you about. The process is the same, but you don't remember, do you? You will. And that is part of another channel and another subject, and I've given that before. The death has really no sting except for the people who are around you because you're coming back. And here is the channel I want you to hear and the message. Old souls have a complete and total sense of completion because you've finished the age. The dispensations have churned through society. You've come to the end. The shift has happened. And now you realize you're facing a final passing. There's the feeling of total completion. And among you, I will tell you the majority of all souls, especially those who are Lemurian, have looked at all of this in the thousands of years that the precession of the equinoxes has churned over the thousands of years that you've been here and you've looked at all of this as one journey. And there's something inside you that says, I'm finished. I've done my job. We made it. I don't have to come back anymore. This is prevalent. 
And the profundity of this is that there has been a completion, a completion of the age, a completion of free choice, a completion onto graduation. You've gone through the motions. You've gone all the way through the grades. You've learned and learned and learned and learned. And now, and now comes this graduation. You made it through the shift, a shift that was not guaranteed at all. A shift that only happened in the last few years before 2012. But things started to turn around. There are seniors in the room who remember when you didn't think you were going to make it because World War III was coming. And the prophet said so. World War III is coming. And the prophets went on to say the specifics of it. It's in the scripture, the Armageddon. A time that most would die. And yet somehow a time when masters would come back. It was all so confusing, wasn't it? But it was the end. Those outside of scripture were saying the same thing. Many of them. They were taking a look at the planet and all that was and what was in the field and saying this, you're not going to make it. And some said it was the year 2000. Others, especially those of the ancients, said it's more like the precession in 2012. Regardless, 12 years is nothing. It was the end. It was the end of a cycle. Thousands of years cycle. And old souls knew it. There are many of you who came into this life way before 2012. And I've told you about that. What kind of a human would have a soul on the other side of the veil before you came in? When you'd face off with the family and the love and the beauty and after you've chosen your family in a process that you cannot believe because it is so beautiful and yet so complex and so wonderful. Who is going to teach who what? What's going to happen this time? But they would look at you. I was there. I still am. And in all of the wisdom of God itself, they would say, you know, don't you? that there's a chance you will be incinerated with your family around you and you're not going to make it. You're about ready to be born into a planet of war. You're about to be born into a planet that continues to do the same thing, expecting different results. You're about ready to go into a prophecy that said you're not going to make it. And in a horrible fashion, you will die. All of you. Probably much at the same time. So great will it be and so ugly will it be. That even the galaxy will know it. And the earth almost disintegrates with thousands of nukes going off at the same time. No projection could possibly understand. What happens when the atmosphere catches fire? And that's where you're going.
And the reaction you had, dear old soul, dear Lemurian, dear one who is completing the cycle, your reaction was this. But it hasn't happened. And in the field, there is the potential of something grand. Why would you think that? Even with the mind of God, why would you think that? And the answer I'm going to give is this, because you went through it before as a Pleiadian. And you saw it. And you saw last moment turnarounds. You saw genocide on at least two of your planets. You saw the ugliest of the ugliest of the ugliest. And you went through it. And you came back anyway. And against all odds, there was the same kind of a precession of the equinoxes called something different. And you went through it. And the evolution began. And then there was a planet you were on that had no more war and they had respect for one another and human consciousness started to evolve and grow into a place you can't even imagine. That's why you said that. That's why. Because you know, Earth is not the only place where you've had expressions. And here you sit today, done with it. I went through it. We made it. I'm done. <laughs> no, you're not. And here's what I want to tell you. The impression you have is because you've come to the end of the age and you feel a tremendous weight starting to be lifted that says you are not going to have to come back as you were before. You're not going to have to go through this as you did before. I'll tell you, you're right. Mm. Because when you awaken the next time, old soul, you're going to remember a whole lot of today. Not the specifics, not your name, not yet. Not who you were or your relatives, not yet. But you're going to awaken in a new earth with new energies that support everything shamanic. Everything you touch will come with an intuition of what you did before that didn't work. How would you like to be reborn? Never make the same mistakes you did. That's who you'll be. And you are returning because you've got another age to start. This dispensation of compassion leads to still another one. The dispensation of mastery, and you will go there. Where human evolution will take you to a place that's beyond, beyond. You are so young. Would you like to meet humans that have had civilizations working together on the same star system in several planets for over a million years? Do you think there would be differences when they look at you and say, we haven't had war. It's in a history book somewhere. We're not interested because we don't do any of that anymore. It's not us. Those were the barbaric years. Those were when we were animals. And today we're masters. That's what they tell you. This shift 
Dear Lamorian, is the end of the old cycle. You're going to come back with a touch of mastery, all of you. Fresh, new, not tired, with things working. We need you. When you go to the other side of the veil, there'll be a process, a system, a consciousness that you cannot even believe or that I can even describe of how the planning works. But you're all coming back because that's what you ask. You wouldn't miss the party, would you, really, honestly? All of this work you put in for thousands of years, all that you've gone through, this is the completion of that. And when you come back, it will be the beginning of something else. Not like you've had, but something else. That is what I want to tell every single light worker, old soul who is listening to my voice right now. You feel you're complete. You are. You're complete with an old, old way of doing things. You're complete with a civilization who doesn't see who you are. You're complete with a civilization that wants to only war and then war and then war some more. And you're going to start a new one that will begin to evolve into something that makes more sense. And all of these, these issues and problems of the day, you will look back on and laugh at. Laugh at. What are you going to do about the pollution? You'll say, what are you going to do about the rape of the earth? You'll say, let me give you something to think about. In a few generations, you won't even recognize the question. Because those things won't be there. Because an evolved, an evolved consciousness will not rape the earth, will not pollute themselves, killing their own kinds. They won't have to. There will be no resources at all needed to make energy. You're going to use other things that do not pollute, that you don't have to dig for. Oh, except one, <laughs> heat. <laughs> you know that, it's at your feet, don't you? If you dig far enough down, you can have all the heat you want. And that heat will make steam and that steam will make engines and those engines will produce everything from electricity to water desalinization. You don't need anything that you take from the earth and Gaia will respond with clean air, with more oxygen, with a cleaner ocean. These things are coming because of the consciousness that you will have when you come back. When you come back, because you're coming back, mm -hmm. it's a different way, is it not, of thinking about your soul, the purpose of it, what it's doing, where it's going. You've waited so long for this. Every time I do this and talk about these things, I also have to remind you 
that this shift is brand new. You are a baby in the shift. You are infants in the shift. And only a few of you even admit there's a shift. But as time goes forward and the weather starts to shift, as we said it would, as some of the prophecies will start to come true, as we have discussed they are in the field, have you seen more and more integrity start to, to appear on the planet and expose things that have always been there? You'll see I'm right. I told you before, I'll just throw it in again. I want you to know where you're going. I want you to watch those in high sacred places be called on their on the actions that, that are not commensurate with the magnificence of their position. To be called on it and to fall. Many not just one. Systems fall over that have always been there. Because suddenly you see they're not in integrity. There are things that have crawled around in the dark. Crawled around in the dark. There are systems that are evil that crawl around in the dark and they've been crawling around for decades. And one of them goes like this, the enslavement of children for sex. The enslavement of children for sex. Could there be anything more diabolical, any more low energy than this on the planet? The answer is yes, but this is one of them. Watch soon for this to be exposed and to be the subject of the day to have all manner of things come forward you never expected and for it to be cleaned up. And when you start to see that, I want you to remember this day. It's in the field, dear ones. It is already in progress, dear ones, and it reflects a higher consciousness humanity that is not afraid to go into the dark and correct things that are not magnificent. That's evolution. You're only a few years into this and already you're starting to see those kinds of things. And I'm here to tell you it's because of what you've done. You're in the shift. But the main message today is completion. Every single one of you, including my partner, will have a last breath. How many of you have the courage to celebrate it? And knowing that it's just the end of one expression going to another. And if you could, you would look at those around you before you pass. And you say, I'll be back. And then we've talked about the miracle of soul splitting and soul journeying. And if you haven't had that, you must revisit this. Because your soul splits and part of it stays with the ones left behind till the end of their days. 
And if they wish to, that they can smell you or hear you or be with you or sit alone and know you're there. It's a beautiful, benevolent system. It's complex. Many people don't believe it. And if you don't believe it, you won't experience it. That's free choice. But if you cognize it, it starts to become real. And you relax in the arms of a God that loves you so much that they provide a system that would give you company and comfort you and love you even though you think you're alone. And when the earth is finished, in the millions of years it may take for the sun to be finished, far, far time away, when that happens, I can tell you something. (laughs) You won't be here. Because you'll know enough to move. And you won't have any trouble leaving. And you won't need a spaceship to do it. And there will be love. That's the message. Could it be any clearer? That there's a benevolent God that you were born magnificent into this this life, this expression, and that the galaxy knows you. And there are those in this galaxy millions of years older than you who look just like you, who have a consciousness that can hook to yours and are proud of you and applaud you and are looking to see how fast you'll learn and compare it to them. There will be some times coming that you'll wonder if any of this is so because the darkness loves to fight back, but it won't win. Those who have no oneness, those who don't understand it, don't want it by free choice are the ones you're fighting. Make no mistake, dear ones, you're not fighting evil forces that are demons or outsiders. You're fighting humans who have dark consciousness and want to keep it that way because it worked for them in the past and they still don't know there's a shift. Finally, this. Interesting consciousness is there are certain kinds of consciousnesses that cannot look at themselves and see who they are. A fool does not know they're a fool. And we have said this before. And they will continue to be a fool when all around them people are getting up and leaving or rolling their eyes or not wanting to talk to them. And they'll come back later and continue to be a fool. A fool does not even know they're a fool. And a person who's in the dark, trying their best to keep the darkness going in an old time, in a barbaric time, does not know they're doing it. But they will be defeated. Because today there is more light coming than there's ever been before. More children being born. We're starting to wake up into a new energy and realize they're enabled. 
They're not disabled as they were before. And a group of old souls that will sit in a room like this for two days and study eclectic things, symbols and words and ideas and concepts that are thousands of years old and start to awaken to them again. And some of them will even say, I remember this. I remember this. And you'll go on to build new teaching wheels that are far more advanced because of the, the multiple akashas that you now have. It will happen. It will come. These are the things that we look at and tell you about that are beautiful, that we see happening in the field. And we invite you to feel it and know that in all of this, you're never alone, ever. For now, and so it is. And so it is, everyone, so it is. And we are all servants of peace in this world. Greetings, Mother. Greetings. In the light. In the light of the most radiant one. In the office of the Christ. And only in the office of the Christ. We invoke the loving energies of Saint Germain and the violet play. We ask at this time for the energies of the Peshat world to come for that which is known as the Divine Feminine Goddess in all of us to join with you, Mother, now as we uh, deal the next uh, set of uh, cards in this uh, Divine Leela. Greetings, Mother. I pass the talking stick to you. What do you say? Greetings, children of Ra. <laughs> 
Yes, if we don't, but don't have them falling asleep right now. It's the energies, is it not, Mother? What's happening? Happy Friday the 13th. Yes, happy birthday. (laughs) (coughs) What's happening? is everyone is getting an upgrade (laughs) in the energies and like Randy said it's only gonna get hotter in the kitchen how hot does a star need to get? Five, six million degrees. Hmm. The sun's not hot, Mother. Different kind of heat. Yeah. Magnetic energies. Yeah. It's about the heart. Sweet surrender. At this time, I'd say the laws of love are pouring in and Time for a change. Please. We are all servants of peace. Indeed. Yes. We can say with great certainty the time as you know it, is up. This is why we are here to collect our children and be on our way. They are collecting themselves with every day of acting out center as it were who's investigating whom is what we can say about the big story it's that are shifting 
space-time reality as we all know it. And as you cannot feel these energies, hmm, must be a bit dead, as it were. That seat of power is in that condition, I understand. Yes. We have these life forms that are on the world stage, yet hmm, just ghosts in the machine. It is all Maya. The real work is lifting ourselves higher and sending more love to the situations at hand. That's the real work. It's a challenge as you've been caught in the matrix and Still trying to find which end is up. Everything that's going on is completing itself at this great moment. Well, you know, this this new counsel, Robert Hur, uh, to investigate the Biden situation with classified documents being in the garage with his uh, fancy car. Uh, oh, 1976 Corvette. Is that what it is? It's one of those heirlooms, huh? <laughs> What what I'm saying is that he what he was he what he he he's uh, on the uh, you might say Republican Trump side, you know and uh, yes yeah it is <laughs> the battle of little wills. But the great invocation speaks of. Yes. These. From the center where the will of God is known. What is it, though? Let the little wills of men. Sort of. (laughs) As the saying. Goes. It's about the fallen human ego at this moment. That's another way to put it, yes. 
And the age of darkness is coming to an end. The light that's pouring in is so awesome to behold. You gotta be a little crazy not to accept it coming in because it's our salvation. This light that's pouring in has not been here since the last time this story was hmm on the main stage. Climate disruption conflict consciousness being raised to the roof. Hmm. And in the midst of it, a wayward children collecting the monoatomic gold. This is not another episode of ancient aliens. It's <laughs> present time space. There's a new movie out called 80 for Brady, Mother. Oh, it's, yes. It's, <laughs> it's an eerie sort of in-between time. It's about us catching up with ourselves as we integrate this tremendous light pouring in from, as Patty describes, our godparents, Helios and Vesta, as it were. This sun is moving up in octave as a result, all the planets in our sun system gets an upgrade. We get an upgrade. It's not extinction level events. It's about absorbing more light mm -hmm. with the love that comes with it the compassion for what's unfolding as we can say are we really truly happy at this time watching what's going on mm. what a question Time for 
enough for everyone. Yes. It's a bit of an imbalance to say the least. Mother. Yes. What we can say in this moment of now is to stay in that now energy each day as we feel like we are being dragged through the mud (laughs) with the energies. Remember to breathe. Do the pranayama. It does work. It does help. As you do the sadhana, the spiritual practices each day, it gets easier with the light pouring in and gotta be diligent about it not slack off as it were each day we get tested with these energies to absorb more light sometimes it's easier than other times and it's about this grand experiment in consciousness that we designed for ourselves when we showed up to do this mission. Well, we're just watching the most extreme shenanigans going on, this George Santos guy, mother. Members of his own party are calling for him to step down. He is not, let's say, a fabricated entity out of the nothingness of what's happening. Oh, no. And then we had that Herschel Walker guy. I just like it's bizarro land. <laughs> it is quite, uh, yes, very bizarre. It's, it's a bit of a mockery of what the democratic way of life is supposed to be about at the moment, brother. The principles of what 
the true democracy, small d, of what Plato, Pythagoras spoke of, the wisdom to sit with each other and share a dialogue, come to a solution as there are solutions. There are more opportunities for ecstasy, balance, and joy. This is the biggest challenge there ever was right at this moment. We asked long ago the greatest amount of diversity with the greatest amount of love. And in this current little now moment, you could say the universe is saying, accept the energies that are pouring in to take ourselves higher. Just be, are you saying that? Just be, just be. Just be here now. Oh. Be love now. Like Ram Dass said, very simple. We got to see him not too long before he took his leave, Mother. Yes, and he got a different point of view once he got to where he is. He did, huh? Yeah. Did you have a chat with him? I'd say... As things shift, he can choose to come back and walk and talk and do what he has to do. That's his choice. Yeah. We think he's much happier with them. Ninkaroli Baba who is laughing and it's just this energy of ecstasy that's pouring forth across the planes of existence. This is how we get to that oneness. Gotta stay in the ecstasy and joy the energies of the house of disorder and <laughs> chaos don't bring ecstasy, only brings something called misery, the road to Mordor, 
I mean, there's so much more that we could do with this incredible energy, highly credible energy that's accessible to all of us at the if moment. If it was up to us, Miss AOC would be the speaker. Oh, wow. Maybe president. Oh, I think that's coming, too. Yeah. They're talking about down there in 2036 or something. That's what they were mentioning for her. But, uh... We are all leaders of the Most High. And we know that time is short. Better be on our way. Well, Mother, you know, poke these characters a little bit and say, come on. Straight up. We will have a little chat with the lavender lad and turn up the flames of the violet fire. Okay, I accept. Yes. He knows how to use that energy to get them moving. Yes, we call in the abundance, everyone. We call in the abundance. Yes, the time is now. Thank you, Mother. Thank you, thank you. Greetings in the light of the most radiant one. Adonai <laughs> Remember who you are every moment. You have the power with love. So much it be, Mother, so much it be. Adonai. Adonai. Ah. <sighs> Wait a little moment here. Momentito, oh. oh, everybody. There you are. Oh. Greetings, Raul. Where have you been? Huh. 
Ben Seligman, Lady Master Athena. Aha. What does she have to say for all of us and herself? (laughs) At this time, love is the greatest answer to the world's situations. And it is sorely needed now. Yes, the the power structure has been uh, usurped as usual. Simply about the old energies that need to go. Yes, they have served their day, served their time. Oh, they're just getting started with another round, mother. Uh, (laughs) I just have to say, like Bob Dylan said, the answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. (laughs) And that wind is Lord Ramtha coming in at quantum light speed. Believe you me. Hopefully the the true true one, mother. Oh, he knows. He's <laughs> done this before. <coughs> yeah, well, we don't want to get into that one. <laughs> I pass the talking stick. <laughs> okay, everybody. Um, listen very carefully here with democracy now. There's a few accents here, but this is truly something to listen to. It's important. So, here we go. Turn up the... Oh, yes, Tigger. Okay. Migrants trying to make it to Europe today. Over the last decade, 
tens of thousands of migrants have disappeared on the journey to Europe. A lot of them have drowned in the sea, um, and others have turned up on the shores of southern Europe and northern Africa. But they're often buried in unmarked graves, they're not named, they're not identified, and their families have no idea what happened to them. And very few people are trying to identify these migrants. All that and more coming up. democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Attorney General Merrick Garland has appointed a special counsel to investigate the mishandling of classified documents discovered at a former office used by President Biden and at Biden's home. Garland said Thursday, former U.S. Attorney Robert Herr will lead the investigation. I strongly believe that the normal processes of this department can handle all investigations with integrity. But under the regulations, the extraordinary circumstances here require the appointment of a special counsel for this matter. Garland's announcement came after Biden's lawyers reported they discovered a second batch of classified documents in the garage of Biden's home in Wilmington, Delaware with one other record found in an adjacent room. On Thursday, Biden downplayed the incident, arguing the documents had been under lock and key. They discovered a small number of documents of classified markings and storage areas and file cabinets in my home and my, 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 my personal library. The Department of Justice was immediately notified and the lawyers arranged for the Department of Justice to take possession of the document. Republicans on the House Oversight Committee have promised to launch their own investigation, accusing Biden and Democrats of a double standard in their treatment of former President Trump's mishandling of hundreds of classified documents found at his Mar-a-Lago residence in Florida. The governors of Alabama and Georgia have declared states of emergency after severe weather swept across southern states Thursday, killing at least seven people. The National Weather Service reported nearly three dozen tornadoes, including a large and extremely dangerous twister that caused significant damage to downtown Selma, Alabama. In California, officials have issued evacuation orders for low-lying areas of the Salinas River Valley, where floodwaters threatened to turn the Monterey Peninsula into an island. Forecasters predict more heavy rain into next week. A new study finds ocean temperatures surged to their highest level on record last year, and another clear sign that human activity is warming the planet. Researchers publishing in advances in atmospheric sciences found the top two kilometers of ocean water gained about 10 zettajoules of heat energy in 2022, equivalent to 100 times the world's annual electrical power production. Warmer ocean temperatures are tied to heat waves, droughts, more powerful hurricanes, and extreme weather events like recent flooding in California. A new study in the journal Science confirms ExxonMobil was fully aware of the link between fossil fuel emissions and global heating, but spent decades refuting and obscuring the science in order to make maximum profit. The report finds Exxon, as early as the 70s, predicted with breathtaking accuracy the disastrous climate path that is now wreaking havoc across the globe. 
South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol has said his country could build its own nuclear arsenal or ask for U.S. troops to redeploy if the nuclear threat from North Korea increases. It's the first time a South Korean leader raised such a prospect since the U.S. withdrew its nuclear arms from the South in 1991. The international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons said in response, quote, suggestions that rejecting agreed international law and norms to develop nuclear weapons are outrageous and must be globally condemned, adding more nuclear weapons into an already tense region is like pouring oil onto a grease fire, they said. Meanwhile, President Biden's meeting with Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida at the White House today as the two nations reinforce their military cooperation in an effort to counter China's strength. Japan recently revised its long-standing pacifist position, building up its military capabilities amidst increasing regional tensions, including expanding its military base near Taiwan. China again warned this week against international interference in the issue of Taiwanese independence. A warning to our audience, the following story contains graphic footage and descriptions of police violence. The Los Angeles Police Department has released video showing the violent arrest of Keenan Anderson, a 31-year-old black school teacher and father who died just hours after his encounter with police January 3rd. The video shows officers tackling Anderson to the pavement in the middle of an intersection as he begged for his life, saying they're trying to George Floyd me. It's on his jaw, Floyd. It's on his jaw. Stop it. Stop it, I'm a taser. Okay, stop it, I'm a taser. Stop it, I'm a taser. An officer electrocutes Anderson with a 30 taser, with a taser for 30 straight seconds nearly, as several others pin him to the ground face first. He's later tased again for five more seconds. Anderson was restrained and taken by ambulance to a hospital in Santa Monica, where police say he died four and a half hours later after suffering a cardiac arrest. The L.A. County Coroner's Office has not yet ruled on the cause of Anderson's death. His cousin is Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Cullors. After viewing the footage, he told The Guardian, quote, my cousin was scared for his life. He spent the last 10 years witnessing a movement challenging the killing of black people. He knew what was at stake and he was trying to protect himself. Nobody was willing to protect him, she said. The United Nations is warning the United States Title 42 pandemic policy is a risk to international human rights and refugee laws and protections. Title 42 has been used to block over 2 million migrants from seeking asylum at the U.S.-Mexico border. Last week, the Biden administration announced it would also begin expelling Haitian, Cuban, and Nicaraguan asylum seekers to Mexico as part of an expansion of the policy. U.N. High Commissioner for Human Rights, Volker Turk, said in a statement, quote, the right to seek asylum is a human right, no matter a person's origin, immigration status, nor how they arrived in an international border. These measures appear to be at variance with the prohibition of collective expulsion and the principle of non-refoulement, unquote. Dozens of Democratic lawmakers are urging President Biden to revoke the diplomatic visa being used by former Brazilian far-right President Jair Bolsonaro to remain in the U.S. after he fled Brazil just ahead of the inauguration of President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva. Bolsonaro has been staying in Orlando, Florida, as he faces at least four criminal probes in Brazil. In their letter to Biden, more than 45 House Democrats said they're concerned by the attack on the Brazilian Supreme Court, Congress, and presidential palace in the capital, Brasilia, 
led by Bolsonaro supporters January 8th. On Thursday, President Lula accused members of Brazil's military of complicity in letting the mob of Bolsonaro supporters into the government buildings. It is important to say there were a lot of people who were complicit in this among the military police. There were many people from the armed forces who were complicit. I am convinced that the door to the palace was open to allow these people in because I did not see that the door was broken. That is, it means that someone facilitated their entry here. We are going to investigate and see what happened. Two Democratic Congress members from New York introduced the Santos Act on Thursday to penalize congressional candidates who lie about their qualifications with a hefty fine and even possible jail time. The bill, which is an acronym for stopping another non-truthful office seeker, comes amidst mounting fallout over New York freshman Congress member, Republican George Santos, who fabricated large portions of his resume and life history before being elected. Republican House leaders have refused to hold Santos accountable. Local leaders where he lives have called for his resignation. Arkansas's new governor, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, signed an executive order on her first day in office this week banning the use of the term Latinx on official Arkansas government communications. Latinx is a gender non-binary term that is often used in place of Latino or Latina and is preferred by many as a more inclusive descriptor. Moderna has sparked backlash after announcing it would seek to increase the cost of its COVID-19 vaccine by four or five times once it becomes available in the commercial market. The U.S. government currently pays around $26 per dose. Senator Bernie Sanders slammed the news as he spoke on CNN this week. So the taxpayers of this country who put money into the vaccine in order to protect the health and lives of the American people are now creating billionaires in an industry, in a company, that it's going to quadruple prices for the American people. That is outrageous. That is unacceptable. And we've got to do something about that. And the World Health Organization's declared Uganda's worst Ebola outbreak in more than two decades is over. The four-month outbreak killed at least 55 people, including at least six health workers. This is the WHO's Dr. Jonas Tegan. This success is not only of Uganda. It's a global success, and the global health community will learn and follow Uganda so that Ebola is not as scary, Ebola is not as devastating as we used to know it. Oh, I have the fear. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. We begin today's show looking at the new film, Argentina 1985, about the trial of the juntas, the civilian court that prosecuted Argentina's former military leaders for brutal crimes committed during the U.S.-backed right-wing military dictatorship from 1976 to 83. The film is based in part on the story of Julio Strasera, and Luis Moreno Acampo, who prosecuted the Argentine general. So Acampo later became the first prosecutor of the International Criminal Court. He'll join us later in the show. Argentina 1985 has been shortlisted for an Oscar and just won a Golden Globe for Best Motion Picture in a non-English language. This is a part of the film director Santiago Mitre's acceptance speech at the Golden Globes. Uh, I 
want to share this for all the people who, since the dictatorship, have been fighting uh, to build a better democracy in Argentina, and, uh, and they keep on fighting. And uh, well, I think democracy is something that we need to, well, it's, we need to keep on fighting for. Santiago Mitre, director of Argentina 1985. The film was also just awarded the NBR Freedom of Expression Award from the National Board of Review. Other winners of the awards included the famed director Steven Spielberg and the film Top Gun Maverick. In a moment, we'll be joined by Santiago Mitre. But first, let's turn to the trailer of Argentina 1985. You will be the prosecutor in the most important trial in Argentine history. I was abducted from my home. They kept me a prisoner for months. Since the Nuremberg trials, la responsabilidad jerárquica, the responsibility of command lies with the juntas. We must prove they knew about it. No country has dared to prosecute a dictatorship. This is our opportunity. Be careful, Julio. Be careful. Until Argentina, 1985. You're sending Vidal to jail. All of those responsible. All of those responsible. There's little time. You won't pull this alone. How many trials have you worked? None. 90% of the judiciary staff does not want to get involved. 99%. I think we need to look elsewhere. Where? Kids. Yes. If the seniors won't do it, then we bring the juniors in. Inspired by a true story, we need to prove it was a systematic plan, that it was across the country, during the governments of all the commanders. They disappeared people everywhere. They are responsible. This is about what the country needs. This fall. What are you afraid of? Everything. Of this being a trap, of something happening to any of you. True courage. They broke into our home, and the trial is in an hour. You cannot be intimidated. Your Honor, all I want to know is if my daughter is dead or alive. So that we wouldn't notice the machinery for unleashed its inequity over the unaware and the innocent. History was not made by guys like me. That's the trailer for Argentina 1985. Well, on Thursday, Democracy Now!'s Nermin Sheikh and I spoke to the film's director, Santiago Mitre, just after he had won the Golden Globe. I began by asking him what it means at an international level for Argentina 1985 to win that award on the way to the Oscars. Well, it was a uh, amazing and a huge, a huge honor, of course. Uh, uh, the Golden Globe Award and, and the honor of being shortlisted in the Oscar amplifies the, the reach out of the film, uh, which is an incredible thing. Not only because it means that many people across the globe are going to watch it, uh, but because uh, these people, especially young generations, who are uh, the ones we are we are trying to to reach the most. Uh, like the movie does itself, well, we can have, we'll be able to have conversations about the impact of the film, about its relevance, about uh, the situation of democracy, and about the fragility of democracy nowadays, which I think it's one of the things that we need to 
care about a lot. Santiago Mitre, you were yourself just a young boy when this trial was taking place in 1985. Explain why you wanted to make a film on it, how you decided to do that, and then how you went about conducting the research. This was one of the most significant events in Argentine's political history, Argentina's political history. Yeah, it is, it's a, I, mean, the, I, I had a lot of admiration of the trial and for the trial. Um, it's, a, it's a major event because of the, the context it was done. It was done only one year after the, the dictatorship ended. And um, the militaries were still very powerful and very frightening. All the region uh, was still governed by uh, military dictatorships. So the decision of the government to do this trial was very brave and very important, and it founded, it founded the basis of, a, of the new democracy. The prosecutors, the judges, were brave on doing this because it's something. It was something risky. We didn't know where, where they didn't know where, where it was going to end. Uh, and, and, and among all the, the, the witnesses who were who, who, were, who survived to the concentration camps, or the, and the families that. Uh, well, they, they, they fight and, and, and try to uh, bring truth during, during the dictatorship and try to ask for, for where their, their, their relatives were uh, and, and sit down and get testimony while most of the people who run the repressive system were still free. Well, I, I think the, the, the trial had so many layers and so many things worthy of being told uh, nowadays. Uh, to the Argentinian audiences who were, were starting to forget about this, this, this event and to the audiences of the world uh, who could be interested on, 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 on the subjects <clears throat> that the film was, was bring, could bring. Uh, justice, democracy uh, is something that, that, that one of the topics that I think we need to be discussing the most nowadays uh, well, because of what's happening all over the world and the war in Ukraine, what just happened one week before in, in, in Brazil with the attempt of coup d'etat to, to Lula. Uh, well, the generally six here. Uh, well, so, and so many places were, were too, much, too many anti-democratic uh, speeches are rolling all over the world. And Santiago Mitre, you, um, for people who don't know, um, you know, the history of this period, the period of these successive uh, military juntas from 1976 to 1983, and what exactly happened during the so-called dirty war, could you just give us some, some background of, of what was happening then? Yeah, um, well, it was part of the late Cold War, let's say. Uh, the, 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 the Argentina had 100 years of uh, history of alternation between one democratic government who would not be ended to, uh, to a military government. This uh, military government was the most uh, terrible one that, that happened in history because it shot, uh, killed, and disappeared uh, as a system uh, to all the citizens who were against them. Uh, uh, politically, or being suspected of being against them, uh, the, the, um, they disappeared over three thousand people uh, during during those years and killed some more. Uh, well, it it was I mean it was a, a awful dictatorship, and I don't want to to live in a country and very frightening.
Uh, Santiago, you have said, I'm convinced of fiction's capacity to transmit reality. You decided to make this not a documentary, um, though you did use verbatim the testimony of the victims, the heart-rending, utterly painful testimony of the victims at the trial. Um, but you, for example, Ricardo Darín, one of the most famous Argentine uh, actors, uh, plays um, plays uh, uh, Julio Strasera, um, becomes him in a sense, even though they don't actually look alike. Talk about that choice to make this dramatic feature film. I mean, I mean that fiction is uh, probably the best vehicle to tell the truth. Uh, I did a very long uh, research uh, for many years. I tried to spoke to most of the people who, were, who did the trial uh, or who participated in the trial, uh, journalists who, who, who were covering the trial for, uh, for, um, for newspapers, uh, witnesses, families of witnesses, uh, all the prosecutor and team, Luis Moreno Campo itself, uh, the, the, the judges, you know, from the government, I read, I read everything. The testimonies could not, uh, I don't know why, I think it was a thing that I have from my ethics as a filmmaker. I, I couldn't change a word from, the, from, the, from what was said during the hearings. The importance that this film transmitted so much truth, I think it was, 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 one, of, was one of my goals. So uh, I, I, luckily we were able to shoot in the real courtroom where the, where the trial happened. For so many years we were, we were not, we were, when we wanted to watch images of the trial of the juntas, we were not being able to watch the faces uh, of the people who were giving testimony. And, and for me the possibility of recreating this gave me that. Like, okay, we can see the faces and we can try to imagine the pain, the anger, what they were feeling at the moment they were, they were giving testimony. Santiago, at the time, do you remember what was, or from what you've heard, obviously, as you said, you were a child when the trials actually occurred and your mother was involved in justice, so obviously you were more familiar with it than most. What was the impact that this trial had, the trial which was publicly accessible, and of course there was a, a large public that, that saw the, that was there present at the trial, what was the impact uh, on society at large, people who knew very little of what had been happening? What was the response? Yeah, it, it, it's, 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 it's very interesting because um, everybody, the president of Alcine won uh, because he, he said he wanted to do the trial. But, but uh, and, 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 and he, he promised something and then he did it, which was uh, something that not many politicians do. Uh, but at the same time, society uh, were afraid of the trial, in a way. They wanted to trial, but they were afraid. They were afraid that a coup d'etat would happen. So it was uh, like a tense situation. It was a big box of uh, amplification, this trial, that uh, made uh, the people conscious on, of what they had done and about uh, how important it was that that we all as a society fight for the democracy. Actually, some months after the, the trial ended, uh, some rebellions in, um, in, in military uh, quarteles, I don't know the word in English, like forts or military places all over the country started, and the people massively went onto the streets uh, to, to protect uh, this democracy. Tell us, Santiago, about the... 
um, extras in this film. I mean, you use the verbatim testimony, but of course, actors and actresses of the victims. Um, in one of your showings here in New York, you talked in the Q&A about the woman who had was forced to give birth alone. Tell us her story and the reaction of the extras behind. Yeah, it's one of the probably more the, the stories that has more uh, pain in it. It's, it's terrible. It was a physician who was called Adriana Caruela who was uh, forced to give birth uh, uh, handcuffed, handcuffed, so like, um, handcuffed in the back of a police car, and they didn't let her uh, grab his uh, his uh, daughter who was just born. Uh, well, and we were doing that testimony. For, that for me, it was it was one of the main testimonies during during a sequence. And, and I worked a lot with the actress uh, to get the right tone, uh, similar to to the real Liana, but with uh, with, with her own deepness. And, and and we cut her hair, put her clothes were exactly the same because we were mixing this footage uh, with. Uh, with uh, our footage, with the original uh, footage from the from the trial, and we did a scene like uh, we weren't crying because of being there, listening to to that that, that uh, testimony in the same courtroom. It was like uh, um, yeah, too, super powerful. And in the first takes, we were on since the other takes, we were all crying. It was impossible not to cry. But but then cinema it's difficult and sometimes directors we get um, too obsessed with uh, silly stuff and we were repeating the scene many times and doing different angles. There was one person in the, in the audience that was crying uh, since the first shot and kept on crying after the um, midday and we were keep, we keep, on, we keep shooting and he was keep on trying and I didn't understand what was going on with this man. Uh, so at some point we did a pause and the actress went out uh, Went on the set, and and, and this man uh, approached her and told her he used to study with uh, with a real Adriana uh, Calvo de la Borde in the university, and he, and he thanked her for letting letting him watch her or see her friend again. Uh, of course, the actress started to cry again, like uh, massively, and she told me, and I was uh, this is this film is going to be very intense, and uh, I was crying again too. And um, and during the film we had like many situations like that because it, it's it's very difficult that someone uh, in my country does not have a relation to someone or who suffered one of these uh, horrors. Uh, that, uh, that this dictatorship did to the country. Santiago, there's a moment in the film, in the courtroom, where the prosecutors go up to the mothers of the disappeared who were there with their famous white kerchiefs, and they've been told uh, by the judge, by the defense team for the generals, that these women must take off their kerchiefs um, because they're seen as banners. Everyone knows what they mean. Very touching moment. Can you talk about the role of the grassroots movements, these women who marched in the Plaza de Mayo week after week to dramatize the stories of the disappeared, their children, their grandchildren, and the Truth Commission of Argentina? Yes, um, the Plaza de Mayo were one of the main institutions and one of the true heroes. Uh, uh, of the fighting for democracy during the dictatorship, they risked themselves 
fighting and, and asking for the for the for where their their children were. Also, the families of the kidnaps were, were but, the, but, the, but the mothers and the abuelas, uh, the, the grandmothers, they keep uh, they keep uh, doing an enormous uh, social work in terms of memory, but with a huge impact in the present. Just ten days ago, they they uh, could rescue one uh, boy who was kidnapped uh, during the dictatorship, and they. They find uh, his identity, and they could he could record his identity and understand who his father his father were. But then to its death, 150 uh, case or something like that. I don't remember the exact number. So uh, and there's many more, many 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 babies that were born during the kidnaps, and they were within the kidnap of their father, and then they were kidnapped, they kidnapped by fake families. Uh, <coughs> And uh, related to the military sometimes, uh, or even militaries, uh, and, and and it's and it's a fight that uh, the the abuelas keep on doing uh, uh, massively. So so we are, I mean I, I love I love them so much, and I think they are uh, such an, an important uh, emblem uh, for our country. And, and Santiago Mitre, finally, what do you hope audiences around the world uh, will learn from this film? But that you never have to take democracy for granted, and with justice is the best way to consolidate democracy. And and uh, and and we all as citizens need to to get involved. Get involved. It's not to not to, not necessarily to fight, but at least to discuss and to see that uh, there's a problem growing growing uh, all over the world. Uh, I mean, for me, that I do uh, political films. Uh, one of my mess, my, my the best uh, things that have, can happen with a film. I, I think it's like that people after watching the film they don't discuss only the film. That they try to to watch, uh, they try to watch and try to think about the problems that are on their own societies. Santiago Mitre, director of the new film Argentina 1985, streaming on Amazon Prime. It's been shortlisted for an Oscar, just won a Golden Globe for Best Motion Picture in a Non-English Language. The film is based in part on Luis Marino Acampo, who prosecuted the Argentine generals. So join us in a minute. Yeah, in a 
Space by Sidhu Hiran. The song was released in 1980 in Argentina and contained veiled criticism of the military dictatorship. Alicia is referring to Alice in Wonderland. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. We're continuing to look at the new film Argentina 1985 about the trial of the Juntas, the civilian court that prosecuted Argentina's former military leaders for brutal crimes committed during the U.S.-backed right-wing military dictatorship from 76 to 1983. The film based in part on the story of Julio Stracera and Luis Moreno Acampo, who prosecuted the Argentine military leaders. Ocampo later became the first prosecutor of the International Criminal Court. This is a short excerpt from the film about their struggle to find a legal team willing to investigate crimes committed during the military dictatorship. We need to look elsewhere. Where? Law school? Not exactly, but in that direction. At the Attorney General's office, there are kids willing to work with us. Kids? Yes, in every court. We need young people with less experience. Less than you? If the seniors won't do it, then we bring the juniors in. An excerpt from the film Argentina 1985. Earlier this week, I spoke to the former Argentine prosecutor, Luis Moreno Ocampo, who's portrayed in the film. I began by asking him about the significance of this part of the film. Well, my job was to investigate crimes. And we, the, the truth commission in my country, identified the victims. So I don't need lawyers doing legal argument. I need people with empathy for the victims. That's why I was thinking young people would be better. And Julio accepted that agreed with me, and then we built a team of very young people from 20, the younger was 20, and the older was 27. So that was, was amazing. In four months, we were able to, to produce the evidence needed to convict the generals. So talk about that. Talk about what happened, um, how it was that you came along with Julio Stracera, who is no longer alive today, to prosecute the generals and ultimately put several of them in prison uh, for life. Well, Julio was a prosecutor in charge. He needed help. And we knew each other from this university, so he invited me to support him. And he gave me the task, I need to lead the investigation. And we cannot use the police, because the police was involved in the crimes. So what we did, we used the victims to produce the evidence. So the Truth Commission identified the victims. We first select the best cases. Then we call the victims, the survivors, asking more details. Who saw, who watched you when you were abducted? There was habeas corpus or, or criminal proceedings. So we collect all these documents and prove well the abduction. Then the victim told us about their own torture and how they watch other people being tortured. And then we show the killings showing people who were abducted before and then appear dead. And the, the army recognized they killed them, but they invented there was they killed them in a in a in a fight, in a battle. And we show it was a fake battle, so the three were abducted before. In this way, in four months, with a group of young kids who were just meeting the victims, meeting the people, receiving them in the office, we produced the evidence. We produced 2,000 witnesses in four months. And that transformed the case because the witness testimonies 
transform the perception of the of what happened in the delivery. who are not familiar with the history of Argentina and the so-called dirty war. If you can take us back to the time of the coup that led to the disappearances, torture, rape of so many Argentines from the late 70s into the early 80s, and then how you came at this moment in 85 to be able to prosecute those who led this coup. Argentina in the 70s had guerrilla groups, uh, but in 73, when democracy was back, but the guerrilla were still fighting, and there were uh, right-wing groups fighting, so people was absolutely afraid of violence, and in a country with 50 years of coup d'etat, people were supporting the idea of the army in charge of the government to control violence. And that's why in 76, when the military junta took power, they were supported. My mother supported them brutally, totally. So, but in 1983, when democracy was back, one of the candidates, Atonsin, proposed to investigate the generals. In a country with 50 years of coup d'etat, no democratic world ended its term for 50 years. And Atonsin said, look, we to end this coup d'etat cycle with the investigated generals, and people support him. 52% of people support him. And that's why the trial happened. This was this political environment. And then when the, we pursued the generals, after there were tried certain military mutants, but people reacted and said no. So basically, the impact of the junta trial will not just unveil the crimes committed by dictators, was transforming democracy, people feel democracy is, is my system, I will protect it. And that's why the film, Santiago Metro film, is so important, because 40 years later, the new generations, the young kids, are learning about this to the movie. So as a prosecutor, I had to prevent future crimes. And Santiago Metro is doing that 40 years later. That's why all of Santiago Metro. Luis Moreno Acampo, according to State Department documents that were released in 2004, almost 20 years ago, then Secretary of State Henry Kissinger and Argent told the Argentine uh, foreign minister, if there are things that have to be done, you should do them quickly. We won't cause you unnecessary difficulties. Explain what he was talking about, because the majority of the people who died in Argentina or were disappeared were in those early years. We're talking about tens of thousands of people. What did the U.S. have to do with it? Well, Argentina was the battlefield of the Cold War. The Cold War was cold in the north, but it was hot in the south. And Argentina was one of the hottest places. So that's why Kissinger was saying, okay, they are basically the dictators in South America were proxy forces for US to control the guerrillas. But interestingly, Jimmy Carter came later, and Jimmy Carter 
was trying to use human rights against the Soviet Union, and then to be consistent, he also attacked Argentina. So Jimmy Carter became the biggest enemy for Argentine dictatorship. So it, it, it's, people in the US have to understand US foreign policy has impact, positive or negative. And, and we, I don't think from the US we're watching that. And Henry Kissinger? No, Henry Kissinger was basically supporting the idea of the armies in the south control the guerrillas. As today, we are happy that the armies in, in Egypt, in different places, control Al-Qaeda and Islamic terrorism. It's the same. We are in a new Cold War. I mean, that's why Argentina 1985 is not just on the past, it's on the future. And if you can talk about the role of the mothers of the disappeared in Argentina, when Democracy Now! went down to Argentina and broadcast, um, we went to the plaza where the mothers um, marched. And there is this moving scene in the film where um, where Prosecutor Stracera turns to the women in the courtroom uh, and asks them, not exactly directly, to take off their scarves because the judges said you could not have banners in the room and they wore these scarves around their heads that said they were the mothers of the disappeared. And you saw it broke his heart to say this. Well, that's real. That historically happened. Both of us were asking the mother to remove the scarf. But it's about fair trials. The judges were trying to be sure no one can complain they were biased. And that is very, very important because it's not just the trial was effective, it was fair. It was fair. The, the defendants have the rights, they present evidence, and the judges were trying to show that impartiality. And I think that is part of the legacy that the movie is showing. The movie is showing not just the horrors. The movie is also showing a fair trial, and it's more important, not just a court film, it's showing the impact of the court in society. And that is the beauty of the film by Santiago Mitre. Santiago is using families, my family, a military family, the Stracera family, a normal family, and the victim family, to show the impact of the lack of law in Argentina. Luis, I want to get to that, your family. You mentioned your mother. Uh, she was a supporter of Videla, the general. She went to church, the same church as Videla. And you used her as a monitor, a barometer of how Argentina was responding to the trial that they could actually watch. Well, in those days, as Santiago explained, the, the, the scenes were without sound. So my mother was reading the newspaper. My mother read the most conservative newspaper in the country, but the conservative paper, the newspaper was showing what happened. And my mother, exactly the day after Adriana Calvo de la Borde testified, my mother, after the movie show, called me. She said something nicer. She said, I still love General Videla, but you are right. You have to go to jail. So that's what she said. So my monitor failed very, very early. So that's why we keep, because for me, we need to convince people like my mother, who did not like the trial, people who were supporting Videla. That was for me the target. The movie, in some way, is doing that. The movie is reaching 100% of the people. You know, in, in one month, the movie was watchable by one million people. 
the president, the vice president of the country are talking about the movie. So the movie can transform the memory of the country. Luis Moreno Acampo, we are speaking to you in the midst of uh, Brazil's January 6th. It's January 8th, to be exact, on Sunday. Thousands of um, the far-right former president, uh, Jair Bolsonaro supporters, overrunning the Capitol, the uh, Capitol building, the Supreme Court, the presidential palace. Your thoughts on parallels to what happened in Argentina 40 years ago? Well, the most clear value would have been in the U.S. two years ago, no, not the most clear three years ago. So I think democracy is at risk everywhere. So because social media transforming the memory and understanding, so we don't understand that. That's why the movie is not just about Argentina in 1985. Ocampo later became the first prosecutor of the International Criminal Court. The film is streaming at Amazon Prime. It's shortlisted for an Oscar. Coming up, we go from the missing in Argentina to the crisis of missing migrants trying to make it to Europe today. Stay with us. Run around, run away from your America. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. The United Nations, European Parliament, and many leading human rights groups are condemning Greece for putting on trial 24 volunteer rescue workers who helped save thousands of migrants fleeing violence, poverty, and persecution. The Greek government has accused 24 individuals connected to the group Emergency Response Center International of smuggling for giving life-saving assistance to migrants who are trying to reach Europe. A spokesperson for the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights said, quote, trials like this are deep concerning because they criminalize life-saving work and set a dangerous precedent. Indeed, there's already been a chilling effect with human rights defenders and humanitarian organizations forced to halt their human rights work in Greece and other EU countries, unquote. A European Parliament report described the trial as Europe's, quote, largest case of criminalization of solidarity. This comes as a new article in The New Yorker has just been published titled The Crisis of Missing Migrants, which examines what's become of the tens of thousands of people who've disappeared on the way to Europe. It's written by staff writer Alexis Okeowo. She's joining us now. Uh, welcome to Democracy Now! It's great to have you with us, Alexis. If you could start off by talking about the significance of this trial. Yeah, I mean, the trial reminded me a lot of what's happening in Italy, which is mostly where I reported this article, where Italy has criminalized um, aid ships who have wanted to rescue migrants in the sea. 
It's also um, encouraged uh, Italian naval authorities, Coast Guard, not to rescue people um, to the point that Italian naval officials have been charged for not rescuing migrants in the sea. And it's just, as you said, part of this disturbing trend of criminalizing life-saving actions to vulnerable people um, and making even it more risky for people trying to make it over the sea to Europe and increasing the likelihood that they will die. Alexis, in your article, you write, over the past decade, the Mediterranean Sea and the shores of Italy, Malta, Cyprus, and Greece have become a vast graveyard with at least 25,000 have disappeared in the crossing and are presumed dead. Can you lay out the scope of this problem and tell us the story of how it impacts people like the woman you spoke to named Alme and her son Yafet? These are such poignant, powerful stories. Absolutely. I mean, 25,000, which is the estimate of the amount of people, the number of people who have disappeared on their way to Europe is actually a very conservative estimate. It's likely much more. But, I mean, over the last decade, at least 25,000 people have disappeared on their way to Europe, mostly while crossing the Mediterranean. Now, a lot of those bodies are at the bottom of the sea. They drowned. But some do turn up on the shores of southern Europe, of northern Africa, and usually they're just buried in unmarked graves. They're not named, they're not identified, and their families don't really know what happened to them. They can guess, but they don't know. And so when I met this young woman, Alma, who's from Eritrea, um, it really brought into stark relief what this means on a human level. She had left uh, the repressive regime in Eritrea, and then again in Sudan, and took a boat from Libya, risked her life to get to Europe, and then settled in Germany. And she had left her young son behind. He was, you know, he was only eight years old. She didn't want him to risk his life across the sea. And she assumed that she would be able to bring him to Germany once she settled. But because the father of her son had died in a shipwreck in 2013, also making his way from Libya to Italy, um, he died in a shipwreck in Lampedusa, but no one knows where his body is. Um, it hasn't been identified. Oh, she was told that because she can't prove the father of her son died, she can't bring her son to, to Europe. And this is a common problem. Um, migrants whose uh, partners have passed find it hard to remarry because they can't get a death certificate. They find it hard to inherit properties. They find it hard to bring their children to join them. And this is often because, you know, the, 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 the parents of the child are in the sea or they've turned up in places like Italy and have just been buried, unnamed. Um, and while there are some efforts to identify these bodies, like a lab that I spent time with in Milan, these efforts aren't really funded, they're not really supported, and they're not really coordinated on a continent-wide level in Europe. And so tell us what happens with Alma and her son. For years, uh, she didn't see him, but they talked yeah. on FaceTime almost every day. Yeah, absolutely. So Alma, after almost nearly a decade, she got in touch with the lab, the lab in Milan where I spent time. And they have been working on identifying hundreds of bodies from a few shipwrecks in Italy. Alma believed that the father of her son was in one of those shipwrecks. 
And so for almost a year, they were coordinating to get the DNA from her son to see if it matched any of the samples that have been taken from the shipwrecks. Um, unfortunately, it didn't. So that can mean he was in another shipwreck or he was at the bottom of the sea. Um, but now, because it's been almost a decade since the father of her son disappeared, she can try to apply with a claim of presumed death and hopefully get him to come that way. You know, now he's he's a teenager. Um, but it, it's just a heartbreaking situation. You know, she's been in Germany for almost a decade, hasn't seen her son in person, only through FaceTime. And she told me, you know, I know the father of my son has died, but no one will, will believe me and no one will give me an answer as to what happened to him. And this is something, you know, the, the scientists at the lab I spent with in Milan told me every person deserves to know whether their, their loved one is alive or dead. But it seems like some people are more deserving than others because when bodies do turn up in Southern Europe, there's no effort by the state or the police or any authority to give a name to these people and to give them some humanity so their families know what happened. Right. 13% of the bodies of migrants who died on journeys between 2014 and 19 have been recovered, according to estimates. The rest are still at the bottom of the Mediterranean or decomposing in North African deserts. What needs to happen to um, not only recover these bodies, but uh, to prevent people from dying? And talk about how large some of these ships are, containing what sometimes between 500 and 1,000 people. Absolutely. So there, there are two lines of thought. One is that for those 13% of bodies that we do have, um, we can have Malta, Greece, Italy, the places where most of the bodies turn up, actually, you know, uh, take DNA samples, take photographs, put this in a database that all European countries can access so that there's a way for families to identify their loved ones. Um, and then like Italy has done once before, you know, recover the boats from the sea. Um, you know, it can be expensive, but it is doable. Uh, so many boats just drops them on the sea and that's it. You know, it's, it's like they're forgotten. And there is a way to deal with that. And then, you know, as I talked with the International Committee of the Red Cross, for the people who don't have bodies, there is a way to it interview survivors, interview smugglers, reach out to the communities from which the passengers came in order to devise a probable passenger manifest so that you can at least families know this is probably what happened. Someone saw or knew that your loved one was on this boat and they didn't make it. You know, there, there is a way to do that and there have been efforts to do that, but with not much support. Because, you know, for example, um, some of these shipwrecks have just been atrocious. You know, there was a there was one in 2015 where it was basically like a, a large fishing boat, like 20 meters crammed with a thousand people. Uh, there were people under the floorboards, young people under the floorboards, people under the hull. You know, the scientists working on it later said it reminded you of a slave ship, you know, the way people were packed on there. People had to pay extra for life jackets after already paying, you know, some $2,000 just to board the boat. So it's so inhumane the way people are, are being forced to cross to Europe. 
And that is, by the way, because there are not safer migrant crossings. There are not more open migrant routes. You know, we're forcing migrants to do this, to, to flee oppression and to flee so many circumstances in this inhumane way that a lot of them don't, sur- a lot of them don't survive. And then there's not even the dignity given to their dead bodies, given to their families to oh, identify who gosh. they were. And do any countries keep databases? Not really. I mean, the the country that has done the most, again, is Italy because they have this lab, but it's not really enough. It's a very, you know, it's a university lab staffed by a lot of volunteers doing this on their own time. These Southern European countries have vowed to, you know, they promised, they said, we're going to do a database, but none of them have submitted any info yet. And finally, when you talk about the reason migrants come, try to leave as they flee persecution, violence, poverty. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, a lot of them are freeing repression, um, violence, economic circumstances, poverty, and also climate change, um, drought, extreme weather. The ways of life have just become unlivable in a lot of the places they're leaving. And so I'm caused by the countries they are fleeing to that are trying to prevent them from coming in. Exactly. Exactly. And a lot of them don't want to leave. You know, they don't want to leave their communities, their homes, their parents, their children. And yet they do. You know, it's astounding to me the the, the you know, the, the extent to which people risk their lives to get to Europe only to be to die or be turned away. Alexis. Okay, oh, well, I want to thank you so much for being with us. Staff writer for The New Yorker and author, their latest piece for The New Yorker is headlined, The Crisis of Missing Migrants. What has become of the tens of thousands of people who disappeared on their way to Europe? We'll link to it at democracynow.org. And a fond farewell to our remarkable video fellow, Mary Conlon. Thank you for all you've contributed to at Democracy Now! It's always been an honor to work with you. Now you are forever a part of our DNA. That's Democracy Now! alumni. And that does it for our show. Democracy Now! produced with Renee Feltz, Mike Burke, Dina Gester, Messiah Rhodes, Nermeen Sheikh, Maria Tarasena, Tammy Warner, Tarina Nadura, Sam Alcoff, Tamari Askew, Joe John Hamilton, Rafi Cowan, Jaime. I really enjoy speech Where is he? He's coming. He's coming. Hit it. Hit it. What are you talking about? This isn't for you. What? Get out of the way. He's coming. I'm back. Where's my
your host, Stephen Colbert. You have to Just want everybody to know this is last Tuesday, so you know it's dated in a certain way, but we're going to listen because it's important. You've tuned in for a pretty big night because it's Pat Benatar's birthday. Happy birthday, Pat Benatar. You're a real tough cookie with a long history of having birthdays. Hope this is a great one for you. Also, what else is going on? Oh, uh, just a few minutes. I'm going to be sitting right over there interviewing Prince Harry, Duke of Sussex. Lord. Lord of the Gingers. to spend this whole monologue talking about the royal family, but instead I have to talk about something stupid because classified documents from Biden's time as VP were discovered in his private office. Come on, Joe. Classified? Is this just what every president does now just to scatter a trail of intelligence like Johnny Document Seed? <laughs> These classified files everywhere? My God, this is stressing me out. I'm sweating bullets here. Here's what happened. Back in November, Biden's lawyers found the government material while closing out an office at a think tank called the Penn Biden Center, named no doubt after the close relationship between Biden and gossip girl heartthrob Penn Badgley. (laughs) Details. Details are still coming out. We don't know how the documents ended up there, and it's unclear what they pertain to. But given Biden's age, I assume it's the Spanish-American War (laughs) and the digging of the Panama Canal. Republicans heard about this, and this may surprise you, but they said, (laughs) Case in point, the former president who truthed When is the FBI going to raid the many homes of Joe Biden, perhaps even the White House? Wait a minute. He may be onto something. Are you telling me there are classified documents in the White House? (laughs) Okay, I can't believe I have to explain this. But while those documents should have been returned earlier, there's no comparison between this and the transparently nefarious behavior of the ex-president hauling box after box of classified material to Mar-a-Lago and tossing it into a mop closet. And then when the National Archives say, hey, where are all those documents? He goes, here's some of them. And they say, are you sure you don't have any more to give us? And he says, I don't know. What I do know that I have is executive privilege. And they go to a judge and the judge says he has to go look for more of them. And he goes, And the FBI goes, here's a subpoena. And he goes, okay, here's 38 more documents. And they say, is this everything? And he says, you bet, looked everywhere. And the Justice Department says, we don't believe you. And he says, what are you going to do about it? And the FBI raids Mar-a-Lago and finds hundreds of more documents. And he goes, oh, I knew I had those. I packed them myself. But don't worry, I declassified them with my mind. (laughs) So... Okay, it's comparing apples to orange man. But that 
obvious difference. That obvious difference did not stop the squeaker of the house, Kevin McCarthy, from saying of Biden's team, they've been around even longer. The former president had never been in office before and had just left, uh, came out. Here's an individual who spent his last 40 years in office. So the ex-president did way worse, but is less guilty because he's less qualified to govern. <laughs> just like a state trooper saying, look, look, look. I would give you a ticket for drunk driving, but you're still on your learner's permit, okay? <laughs> Drive home safe and bottoms up. <laughs> Speaking of, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Should love, should love. Speaking of Kevin McCarthy, uh, Kevin McCarthy. Yesterday, he passed new internal House rules that included all of the concessions he made to the Freedom Caucus in exchange for their votes. We've got some of the new rules right here. Sit, down boy, stay, and fetch Hunter Biden's laptop. But get him, boy. Stick him. Get him. Well, McCarthy might be hiding a little something extra because reportedly, there's also a secret concession addendum that was approved in closed door negotiations with a handshake agreement. Okay. And we all know the best rules are secret. <laughs> Reminds me of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not, wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> One of the hardliners out there twisting McCarthy's gavel is Marjorie Taylor Greene, who celebrated... Yeah. <laughs> He's celebrated by dropping this video. Man, those automated iPhone slideshows are getting weird. <laughs> you may have noticed, you may have noticed that the music uh, to that little video is Dr. Dre's still DRE. Well, Dre certainly noticed because Dr. Dre sent her a cease and desist letter. Cease and desist. So he's a doctor and a lawyer. How is that guy? How is that guy still single? <laughs> this isn't the first time there's been copyright problems between rappers and politicians. Who can forget Bernie Sanders' unauthorized tour as Soup Doggy Dog? One percent, two percent, three, four. Snoop Doggy Dog. Dr. Dre's at the door. We would like some chowder, please. Drop a like, it's hot. Where's my soup? <laughs> soup. <laughs> Speaking of Dr. Dre, Eminem, um, the candy. With all the problems in the world, Fox News remains laser focused on the big issue. Eminems have gone woke. First of all, no, they haven't. Second, if any candy is woke, isn't it the one that tells you to taste the rainbow? Here's what they're grappin' about. Here's what they're grappin' out. In honor of International Women's Day, Eminem's is releasing its first ever all-female packs featuring Eminem's female characters upside down with the slogan supporting women flipping the status quo. Okay. All right. I guess so. Fine. 
It's obviously just a ploy to sell more sugar by being socially conscious. It's just like in the 80s when the Kool-Aid man took on the South African government. Apartheid, oh no! <laughs> so, so, where's his Nobel Prize? He's robbed. So, I mean, the packaging is dumb but harmless, right? Not according to Fox News host Harris Faulkner. When you look at the package, the women are upside down. And I understand flipped, but thank you very much, we stand on our own. We don't need to be shown on a package looking crazy upside down. <laughs> no, we don't need to look crazy. We need to look sane, you know, complaining about candy packaging on a news network. Normal. upset about over there was this photo of these two female Eminem mascots, okay, holding hands there. Keep in mind, this tweet is from 2015. So naturally, they were complaining about it yesterday. Apparently, there's new lesbian characters. Um, it's a female in empowerment. I just didn't know that when I was eating like an orange right now, is this orange a man or a woman? Easy. It's easy, Pete. The ones with an M, okay, right there. The ones with an M, those right there, those are for men, okay? And the women, the women have a W. Okay? Lady Candy. And come on, Pete, we're all adults. We know all candy is gendered, okay? First of all, Snickers. Woman. Milk duds, milk dudes, okay? Three musketeers, a polyamorous gay thruple. <laughs> Baby Ruth, not sure. The gender reveal started a series of wildfires in California. And candy corn, you got yourself a bag of clitorises. Oh my God.
Okay. Do you do you think that right now there is an active uh, campaign by uh, the rest of your family, by the royal house, as it were, to undermine this book and and you uh, as you support it? Of course, and mainly by the British press because they but are aided and abetted by yeah, the power. Again, of course, but there's, there's, this is the other side of the story, right? After 38 years, they've told their side of the story. This is the other side of the story, and. There's a lot in here that you know perhaps makes people feel uncomfortable and scared. I would say that if, I think there's, there's some veterans in the house tonight. <laughs> um, I think one of the most uh, look, I'm not going to lie. The last few days have been hurtful and challenging. Uh, not being able to do anything about those uh, leaks that you refer to. But perhaps the, or no, not perhaps, without doubt, the most dangerous lie that they have told is that I somehow boasted about the number of people that I killed in Afghanistan. I've, I've read that section of the book, and I'm, without reading the entire thing right here, it, it is, it, to me, it's, it's a very thoughtful description of what that knowledge is like to have and what the experience is to know that you have done this in order to protect what you believe is good in the world from those who would wish to destroy it. There's, there's nothing boastful about it. Um, and not but, only but, that... But also, I would say that if I heard anybody else, if I heard anyone boasting about that kind, kind of thing, mm-hmm. I would be angry. But, but it's a lie. And hopefully, now that the book is out, people will be able to see the context. And it is. It's it's really it's really troubling and very disturbing that they can get away with it. And also, because they had the context. It wasn't like a. It wasn't like here's just one line. They had the whole section. They ripped it away and just said, "Here it is. He's posting on this." When, as you say, that you've read it, and everybody else will hopefully be able to have a chance to read it. And that's dangerous. And my words are not dangerous, but the spin of my words are very dangerous. Dangerous because it makes you a. Increased target those in the, in those that, around you that you love. And that is a choice they've made. Um, and another odd thing about it is that this is nothing new. Here's an article from I believe this is from Reuters from ten years ago, describing that you had killed Afghan insurgents, the Taliban, in sorties. So this isn't new information. This has been known for a long time. Almost ten years to the day, my face was spattered all over the front pages um, because someone asked me a question while I was still in Afghanistan um, if I had. Killed anybody from an attack helicopter, um, and I said yes. And I think the most important thing here is not only the context, but the reason as to why I decided to share this in my book. Because again, to the vets here and to the civilians here, which may seem may feel as though this is slightly a weird conversation to have, um, especially on this show of all shows, but. I made a choice to share it because having spent nearly two decades working with veterans all around the world, I think the most important thing is to be honest and be able to give space to others to be able to share their experiences without any shame. And my whole goal and my attempt with sharing that detail is to reduce the number of suicides. You, 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 you talk in the book. Here we go. There you go. You talk in the book about those years in the military as having saved you. Mm-hmm. As I said, you still continue to, to work with veterans, wounded veterans, the Invictus Games. And uh, 
do you think the UK press is using this specifically to hurt you in an area that is most meaningful to you? Without question. Um, it's not just an area that they know is the most meaningful, but it is what has defined my life. I spent 10, 10 years in the army. I only joined for, uh, originally for three, um, but I couldn't resist uh, staying. They kept dangling a carrot of different jobs uh, for me for many years. But I found a refuge there. Um, and as I talk about in the book, um, I found my purpose. Um, a purpose greater than myself and to be amongst comrades wearing the same uniform, being treated, uh, no longer being treated differently for the first time in my life and being able to hide away from the, from the media focus. For me, that was, that was an amazing place to be in an amazing community. And I still am part of that community. So they will do everything they can to try and uh, disrupt that. I know this might seem a simple question or there might be a simple answer here. Why do you think the world is so fascinated with your family? And at this moment in you, not aside from this book, because there was already a press fascination, a public fascination, even when you and uh, your wife were being private all during uh, COVID out in California. Why do people have an appetite? Well, first of all, to the, are you talking about my family? Or your family. The, uh, my family, okay. Uh, well, how about your family and your greater family? Well, the greater family, I, 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 I don't know. I, I grew up within it. Um, I think there's always been a fascination. I think my mum took it to, the fascination of her took it to a new level. You know, Diana's boys, let's see how this turns out. Um, and I think there was a real sense of, uh, in some parts, ownership, some parts, uh, parenthood by the British public, feeling as though they had to parent myself and my brother through our, through our teenage years. Mm-hmm. And then he got married. It was like, great, there's one. Well, what's going to happen with the other one? <laughs> I wonder. And then I'm falling out of clubs, I'm taking drugs, I'm drinking heavily, all of that. Again, it's all there. Um, and that was that was a part of this But with regard to my family, you, you hit on a really important point, which is we were forced to leave. We left in 2020. We moved out. We fled my home country. We moved to California. And for 12 months during lockdown where we said literally nothing, it was relentless. And that was that was a real eye-opener for me. I never thought that we'd be away from it completely, but I did think that we would get some form of peace. But that's when I realized that actually our mere existence outside of that institutional control was more of a threat. And, you know, the similar thing that happened to my, to my mum as well. And, look, they always knew that my wife was going to, 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 to leave because of the way that they were abusing her. But I think the most embarrassing thing is that I just did not decide to leave with her. Do they think the intent was to make her to leave or to break her spirit so she would be easier to control? Because uh, <laughs> mm. <laughs> either one would it's do, right? A little bit like group therapy. <laughs> you didn't know, did you? You were saying, I got a dinner reservation. What is this? Okay. Well, uh, Harry, let's I'm follow both, that feeling. Both. <laughs> I, I think I think both. Um, I've, ne- I've never I've never seen the level of abuse and harassment that I witnessed over my wife. Other members of the family they've experienced different forms of that, um, but to see it happen the way that it happened, um, I was naive going into it. I didn't realise that the British press would be so bigoted. And even if I had, I wouldn't have accepted or understood that they could get away with it. But here we are, and I've now created, or we have created a fantastic life here in California, which is, by the way, it's beautiful, and America is a great place to live. (laughs) 
break. We'll be right back with more Prince Harry, the Duke of Sussex. Hold on, everybody. Hold on, momentito. Blue Cross and Blue Shield of New Mexico, through it all. The new book is called Spare, the Man is Prince Harry. Um, the title Spare, how old were you when that name or that description uh, made sense to you in terms of the hierarchy of the family? When did it make sense? I think when you realize that Spare meant like you're, uh, you know, even comedically perceived as like, well, he's a safety cushion. Yeah. <laughs> I heard someone go, oh. You should read the book. <laughs> Whoever that was, thank you. I'll give you a hug later. Um, but, <laughs> you know, stop saying it. Stop doing it. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't know, for purely American audience, I, I assume the air spare is probably something very new, but it is. Yeah, it, it is literally that. You have the air, and then you have the spare, you have the distraction. Um, and if you're not careful, you can really play into that. Like some members of my family have, and I, and I fell for that trap when I was, you know, my teenage years, looking for my purpose and trying to look at what was going on. The thing that seems relevant when you read the book and you, and you hear your interviews, it, you, I get the sense that you're being honest when you speak, and being factually honest, as you say, these are all you're you're standing behind all of these stories, but also emotionally honest. And one of the things that was sort of emotionally very affecting to me, even as someone who, again, who doesn't follow the royal family that much, I always assumed after the death of your mother, the two of you, you and your brother, were lockstep. You were these um, solaces for each other who went through this experience together and went through the really the rest of your lives shoulder to shoulder as the only two who could possibly understand what you've gone through. But that is not the case no, that's here. Nice. Are you surprised that people are surprised? Because people are surprised. Are you surprised? Because that has been the narrative. I mean, look, there's, a, there's two parts to this. One is, I think, anyone who suffers from trauma, shock, grief, loss, which we all have and all will, um, that you have got to put on a brave face. And I think, to a large extent, you know, me out there smiling, my brother out there smiling, us doing working engagements together, it, it looks a certain way, especially then when you have... The British press, the Royal Rota, of which all of the Royal Family's information goes through that filter before it then goes global. That's like a press pool. Yeah, a press pool, yeah. It's, uh, ex- uh, exclusive access. Um, um, do you have to say it that way? <laughs> Legally, is it, do you have to say it that way? Yeah, no, no, yeah I, I signed a disclaimer before. Exactly. Um, but for, yeah, so I can understand why people would think that. But I guess more recently, especially in the last six years, it is all the, the, the fracture of the relationship between me and my brother has, has very much been pinned on my wife, um, funnily enough. There's a lot of talk about the physical fight that the two of you had, where he pushed you down in the kitchen and, and broke the, the dog bowl when you yeah. fell on it. Um, it says it broke your necklace. Mm-hmm. What necklace was this that he broke? Uh, this one, which is now fixed and now it's got. And what's on there? We've got um, my kids' heartbeats, which my wife gave me. Oh, the cardiogram yeah. grave there, yeah. And, and, the central. and then a friend of mine was one of made this frame, she's got tigers on the If your mother were still alive, do you ever think about how she might handle this moment? She, I mean, she... We uh, wouldn't have got to this moment. 
Talk to me about that. We wouldn't have known. I don't know where. I don't know there was where. already crisis in your family. There was already divisions. There was all, she was already being hounded. Mm-hmm. So um, it's impossible to say where we, where we would be now, where those relationships would be now. But there is no way that the distance between my brother and I would be the same. Do you think of how, like, do you, do you sort of mentally or spiritually ask for help as to, like, what can I do to, to fix this? Any advice she might give you in this moment? Um, I've, I've said quite a lot recently in these uh, different interviews that I've been doing that I've really felt the presence of my mom, especially in the last couple of years. And I detail in the book, uh, my brother and I uh, talking at her grave and how he felt as though she had been with him for a long period of time and set, helped set him up with life and that he felt she was now moving over to me. And I have felt her more in the last two years than I have in the last 30. Um, the last two years is very interesting because you're 38 and she was 36 when she died. Mm-hmm. What was that? What is a moment like when someone at a young age loses, loses a parent? For many people, it's a significant moment when you become older than that parent who's loomed so large in, in your mind. When you're older than they are, when you've seen more of life than they have, such as it is. What was that moment like for you or was it significant at all? Well, she died at 36 and I was 36 when this all kicked off. <laughs> um, as in January of 2020 was when my wife and I basically said, enough, we can't cope, we can't deal with this, we need to call about something different. Um, so that was an interesting overlap of time. You engage in something that um, I, I think we discussed this briefly, that I, I lost several members of my family when I was a little bit younger than you, and I engage in a lot of magical thinking about who they, where they were, and perhaps they weren't dead. And you talk about this all through this book, and it's one of the things that was so resonant to me was the belief that no, my mother is alive; she's out there someplace, and someday she will show up. That's a recurring theme throughout this. What did you have an image of your mind of where she was and what she was doing all this time um, for those years? For, I mean. Yeah, for, for many years, I had dreams. I was convinced that she was still alive. I mean, I was you know, 12 years old. And did you see her in the world? Did you think you saw her places? Only a handful of times. Um, but I had to believe that she was still alive. I could not face the reality that she was gone. Where did you imagine she was? Hiding. Taking a break, plotting, planning, and then coming to get me and William to get us out of there. Because it was unbearable for her. Hiding I mean, in some ways. I mean... Uh, hiding, I'm not going to accuse you and Megan of hiding, but removing yourself from the situation, this fantasy that you had of what your mother did, is what you did. You removed yourself from the toxic situation. Yeah. And I'm glad, by the way, I'm glad that it... (laughs) Um, Not before trying to make it work. (laughs) Yes. Believe me, we tried, um, and we're still trying, but I'm glad that that resonated for you, because as we know, through you know, our own mental health journey, there's power in sharing, right? Because then you realize you're not alone and you realize that you weren't crazy thinking that. So I really that is how that person is still alive. If you share your memories of that person, how you feel that person, that is how that person really, that is not magical thinking. That person becomes no, alive. But there's, but there's also that, that grief that so, so many of us, like within society at large, we are not exactly encouraged to grieve. And I think that's a real problem. It seems a weakness. It seems it seems weakness. Um, but I, through this book, have been the most vulnerable I have ever been in my life. 
um, and I've never felt stronger. Uh, please don't go anywhere, and don't you go anywhere. Be right back with more Prince Harry, everybody. Stick around. It's only going to be about five minutes. Oh, can I have a drink? Got frost. Now, nah, You write a lot about your brother. Uh, you write about him with love. Um, you call him Willie. But there is a different Willie that also gave you some pain and trouble. You got frostbite. Frostnip. Frostnip. Frostnip on a delicate part of your anatomy. You write about this in the book when you went to the North Pole. Now they're interested. Okay. Can you explain how it is that the royal standard got frostnip? Walk us through it. Take all the time in the world. How long have you been? Can I have a drink? Sure. How long have you been waiting to ask that question? Since we've I read taken, the book yesterday. We've taken, we've taken quite a leap from, yes. from grief and trauma to, to my todger. Todger, that's a, that's a very gentle word. Is it gentle? Todger. Sounds like a nice nickname. You know my friends, here's Willie, here's Todger. Here's John Thomas. Well, hang on a sec. Yeah. But you know, care for a game of Tallywacker? How did the... My, my Todger make it How did your Todger... I know how it made it into the book. You typed it. But how did... How did it get frost-nipped? Why did you not take care of the, the royal jewels? The reason... <laughs> It's really hard to have this conversation because there's no one in this audience that has probably read the book yet, apart from you and me. You, so, you go to North Pole. Talk about context, right? The context of this is that you're going to the North Pole. Thank you. Okay, and things got very cold. At what point did you realize there was a crisis at the South Pole? Um, <laughs> um, once I got home. First of all, it didn't turn into an icicle, right? It didn't snap off like a grandma. Well, no, exactly. You can't say it wasn't like that. Never? No. Well. Um. <laughs> okay, so it's, it seems okay. It's fine now, thank you. Um, so the, the, the context was that these amazing veterans were doing a walk to the North Pole. Yes. They had all the training, I had none, and I turned up thinking, how bad can this be? It's only the North Pole. It's only it's only North Pole. It's only minus thirty five degrees. I've got the salad pets. I've got the jacket. I've got the warm stuff. Um, I've got all the things that I need. But what I didn't have was um, what I had when I actually went to the South Pole, which was a cushion. What? Which which if you. <laughs> Which is, which is a no one in my life when I was a child could ever explain to me that someday the Duke of Sussex was going to say the words cushion to me. And it would all make sense. This is absolutely surreal. We have to take a little break. We'll be right back with more. Prince Harry, everybody, stick around. Oh, God, everybody.
Yeah, you gotta come, bro. Dollars, start your road to adventure at La Mesa. I want to show this lovely photo right here. There's there's so much in this book that is actually very heartwarming. The the human connection that you have with with your family and the times when they've been there to support you. Here's a beautiful photo of yourself and Queen Elizabeth II. And the world mourned her passing last September. You didn't just lose your sovereign, you lose your grandmother. And there, there, there are many really lovely interactions between you and your grandmother. Um, what will you remember most about her? Her sharp wit. Her sharp wit. Yeah. Her sense of humor, her ability to uh, respond to anybody with a completely straight face, but totally joking. Wow. Just the, the ultimate British dry wit. Yeah. Um, but she was just, she was just, she was, she was incredibly humorous. But as I, again, as I said, but I'm, I'm, I am now, and I was then, genuinely happy for her because she finished life. Um, she had an amazing life, she had an amazing career, um, and she was buried with her husband. And bearing in mind the suffering, global suffering that everybody's experienced over the last three years, there was less suffering for both of my grandparents, and I'm really, really grateful for that. Here's another lovely family photo. Your daughter, Lilibet. Your son Archie, and of course, your wife Megan. Your daughter Lilith is named in her honor. Having children helps us remember those that we've lost. Um, do you see your mother, or your grandparents, and any of your children? Uh, definitely my mum. Um, the ginger gene is a strong one. Look at that. <laughs> Both of them. The, spen- Both the, of them the, spen- the Spencer gene is very, very strong. I actually really genuinely thought at the beginning of my relationship that should this go the distance? Uh, and then we have kids. There's no way the ginger gene will stand up to my wife's genes, but I was wrong. <laughs> what do you guys do at home? Like, what's, what's fun? Things. Do you guys, do you guys like, do you guys binge? binge. Do you guys binge shows? Binge? Yeah. You binge. Binge, binge, binge. TV shows? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, you watch The Crown, right? You've got to have watched some of The Crown, right? <laughs> People love me that. Yes, I have actually watched The Crown. Oh, yeah. Well, the recent stuff or, or the, the, the older stuff? Uh, the older stuff and the more recent stuff. Yeah. Um, Do you fact check it while you watch it? Yeah. <laughs> um, mm. Yes, I do, actually. <laughs> Which, by the way, by the way, another reason why it's so important that history has it right. Well, Harry, thank you so much for being here. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for sharing this. It's available today. It's Prince Harry, everybody. We'll be right back. Okay, everybody. I think that's about it. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's it. This. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> um. I think it's time for uh, Rainbird to have the last word <laughs> on uh, on all good things come to an end. Tonight has been a good one, I think. But um, 
I passed this talking stick and Rainbird, you got the rain rainbow there and angels and fairies and feathers and Excalibur and and uh, uh, what's his name there? Quetzalcoatl. Yes. Here it comes. Here it comes. Oh, okay, I got it. Yeah. That was good. <laughs> yes, I thought. Where where else would you hear about the South Pole? <laughs> anyway, it was fun to to hear that and what a dance this this beautiful being does, knowing that his mother's alive. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. And Rama had the confirmation con- conversation about that with him too. Been quite a few years. When was that, Rama? Oh, I can't remember at really. least. Five or six years. Yeah. Yeah. And here we are. <laughs> and and we, here we are. Yeah. That little girl, she is something. And she's got that red hair. <laughs> Holy cow. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. And and, and what a name to live, to live into. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Wow. Yes, a decent healing work on that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure there's more knowledge than they're letting on to what that's all about, you know. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, won't that be the day? I love to see his mama again. <laughs> what was that? What did you say, Rainbird? I'd love to see Harry's mama again. We will. I know, I know. Now, how about now? How about now? I mean, well, four months from now. <laughs> uh, Diana told Rama it'd be about four months post the SARS enactment. Yeah, yeah, and they said they'd see you soon, so I'm looking forward to that. Yes, please, please. This is yeah. really boring. I'm sorry to say. So. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Yeah, well, it's good we had a Mother's Day today. We get another one next week. The Mayan world is bringing us another Friday the 13th. <laughs> so yes, that's right. That's, that's right. right. <laughs> I did Wow. You're not too far away from your birthday, Rainbird. Just a couple months now. Oh yeah, I, I'm 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 willing to wait. There's a lot that goes down in the next couple of months for sure. Yeah, who like knows? Turning M and M's upside down, and making W's out of them. More <laughs> sugar on push. International Women's Day. That's when they're bringing it out. I go, okay. <laughs> All right. So I pass this talking stick over to you, Rollin. Thank you for tonight, as always. Lots of going on, and we all appreciate it. So here comes the talking stick. What you got? Thank you. This is Alan Watts. You are creating your environment.
So then, remember that what you are experiencing, you can remember it, perhaps it's easier for some of you in this way. What you are seeing out there in front of you is actually a sensation inside your head. All that you see is a conversion of quanta in the external world into the form of your brain. <coughs> your brain in its turn being something in the external world. Now then, when it's in your brain, you say, and now I see it in terms of my brain. Well, is there somebody standing back inside your brain, you see, and looking at your brain and saying, well, there it is. What a nice picture. Mm -hmm. See, if you can get this, it's wonderful. The centers of the optic nerves are right in the back of your head. They're not just here. If they were just here, you could imagine someone standing inside your head and looking at them. But actually, they're right back there. So what you are seeing in front of your eyes is right back in here where it's actually happening. So you can stroke the view here with your fingers, see? Now, there isn't somebody in the middle who's turned round looking at the back of your head, like the people in Plato's cave, to see what's out in front. The point is that the sensation of yourself and the sensation of other people is the same thing. And that's mutual between all of us, you see. We all are our view of other people and other things. Views of views. Views of viewings. And so, uh, <clears throat> You don't have to introduce the problem. <clears throat> of how the knower knows. How does the world make an impact on the knowing subject so that it can uh, be aware of, be conscious of everything else. There isn't that kind of mirror or camera process going on. That's the important thing to understand because everybody's thought is so powerfully influenced by the metaphors that he uses. And the metaphors for knowing and for consciousness, mirrors, cameras, etc., etc., can be extraordinarily uh, introducing unnecessary complications. Simply see that What you are aware of in terms of external sensory experiences, in terms of so-called internal feelings, internal thoughts, that is what you are. Krishnamurti puts it so beautifully when he tries to show that behind the stream of thoughts there isn't a thinker. He says you create the thinker, you create the thought of a thinker behind the thoughts in a moment of insecurity. 
when you want to withdraw but actually there is simply the stream of what you could call luminous experience <clears throat> and you can translate you can take away the word luminous and put the word conscious in its place so see it again your heads your nervous systems your eyes your senses your bodies not as something that encounters the external environment from outside you all are the external environment rather your heads and eyes and so on are points you see put out by the environment as a whole as a totality through which it feels all around like many sensitive hairs like a sea urchin with all those little spines coming out of it and each one of us is one Spiral racing.
Thank yous, honey in the heart, no evil, live long and prosper. And uh, aloha, mahalo nui loa. Thank you all for what we get to do together. Thank you. Yay, BBS Radio. Namaste. Till this afternoon, everyone. Aloha. <laughs> 